This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Tony Stott Professional Framing Solutions. A picture framing business based locally in Aberdeen, we frame anything from a small photograph to a large canvas or painting. Protect those special moments in a high quality frame. No job too large or small, we can do them all. Don's season ticket holders benefit from discount on framing and memorabilia. Registered memorabilia dealers with the Autograph Associations AFTAL and UACC. Autograph authorization and validation available. It's Wednesday, and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 29 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott, and joining me this week, it's Gavin Baxter. Gav, how's it going? Good, thank you. Um, By this point, the transfer window will be officially shut. We currently have lost a whole lot of players and brought next to no one in. Let's hope that changes in the next couple of days. There might be a record scratch coming up at some point in this episode, I would imagine. Every chance, I think. And in a week that saw Scott Wright found out by the orc hordes at Ibrox, John Hughes went all full Alan Partridge at Dunfermline. What's that about? Have you not seen the video? He's actually shouting, Dan, 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 at somebody. <laughs> oh, I've not seen that, but I'm going to, that's the first thing I'm going to do once we're done with this recording. Go and check it out if you've not checked it out yet. And Storm Malik and Corey caused havoc across the country. It's a maybe slightly less busy episode. Of the show because our home fixture against St Johnston was postponed due to Malik. Um, so we're going to start by reviewing our first visit to Dingwall this season and the rearranged fixture from the 2nd of January at the Global Energy Stadium on Tuesday night. We'll check in on our young team and our loanies in Lone Watch before we're joined by Liam from the Am and the View podcast to preview our second trip to the Tony Macaroni this season and to reminisce about our favourite and, well, I guess not so favourite moments in fixtures between the sides. And after the break, it's the return of our series of interviews with Don's personalities of past and present. This time, it's a man who climbed through the youth setup to go on and make 39 appearances for the first team, scoring twice, and one who tucked away a penalty in the shootout against Inverness Cali Thistle in the 2014 League Cup final. And we thought this was an appropriate time to slot this into the episode schedule because his side face Kilmarnock on Friday night on BBC Scotland in the Championship. It's Nicky Lowe. But first, Ross County won. Aberdeen won Tuesday the 1st of February 2022. The Global Energy Stadium, the SPFL Premiership and Gav. Again, a bit similar to last week. We're recording this pretty much right in the aftermath of um, the full-time whistle going in Dingwall. So we're not going to do a a blow-by-blow account on this one. But I guess your initial impressions on uh, another disappointing draw in the league this year. Um, I guess after kind of jumping the gun a little bit here, since this will be going before the transfer talk, but um, kind of befitting the the transfer window we've had that I sit here feeling quite deflated over what we've just seen. Uh, disappointing result for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, three changes in the starting lineup tonight from last week's. Horror show in Paisley. Uh, Johnny Hayes, Dylan McGee coming at the side for Dean Campbell and Teddy Jenks. And then uh, Vicente Bajauen uh, making his debut, becoming the 12th 
Dutch player to appear for the Dons and the first Colombian since uh, David Gonzalez. Remember him? Dylan Day signing Adam Montgomery, finding himself on the bench alongside Michael Ruth, who's also been recalled from Falkirk in recent weeks, and Connor Barron. A notable absentee from the bench this evening as well. I'm going to presume that's an injury issue rather than anything else. But um, yeah, I thought first half was... Uh, I kind of thought across the piece, we we dominated the game, dominated possession once again, as we've done. I, I, it's, I'm running out of you know fingers to count that, that we've done this this season, but created just little again in the way of real clear cut opportunities that you would be expecting us to to score from. Yeah, well, I mean, the first half especially. I mean, yeah, it's two long range efforts from from Ojo and Ferguson, and otherwise, yeah, getting into some good positions and then. I tweeted it. It's just the number of times you see our players running towards the opposition goal at pace, even with an overlapping run, and then they they turn, they check back, they take about ten touches, and then they pop it back thirty yards. It's enough to make you cry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was a couple of other chances as well. I thought early doors. It was a good header from Ferguson that he maybe should have done better with. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Laidlaw kind of saved it well. Um, I thought Bajowin got into some good areas in the first half, especially beat his man, got to the byline and sw- swung some pretty good looking crosses in the box, but there's just literally no one there to try and capitalize on them. Once again, just a really, really frustrating evening's work. Yeah. Um, on, on Vicente Bajowin. Good. Trying to get, trying to nice. get used to saying that name. I thought in the opening 15, 20 minutes, whenever he got the ball, he looks in terms of his control with the ball at his feet on a different level to anyone else in a red shirt. Um, so, yeah, very promising. And then I think as soon as I mentioned that to you, he didn't touch the ball for the rest of the first <laughs> half. Yeah, exactly. Because we just didn't get the ball to him, I don't think. Or Well, we just didn't move the ball quickly enough to him, which is part of the problem. Uh, it was... Yeah, and that's been part of the problem the whole season, hasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. I mean, there was a couple of times in the first half where he was hugging the touchline um Ojo in particular like was kind of running with the ball at his feet through the midfield and it just felt like you could play that pass about five yards earlier than you do and it eventually comes to Bajau and it tended to be behind him it wasn't really in front of him to for him to run on to and he was kind of having to do a lot of work from that perspective by himself not necessarily being helped by the passes coming into him on the whole I thought it was a relatively promising performance from um Bajau and I would say I was quite impressed actually with his ability willingness to track back and and you know put in blocks tackles etc this is always I guess the concern you have when you sign a guy who on the face of it appears to be a bit of a kind of flair player a, a more creative type that he might not be willing to do the dirty work going backwards but I thought he did most of that pretty well tonight just felt that we just didn't really make enough of him yeah agreed all round um his work rate reminded me a lot of uh Johnny Hayes actually which is yeah not at all a bad comparison to be made um uh, but yeah, I think in the second half as well, I don't can recall him getting the ball in pretty deep lying positions and beating men, but you know, it's just it's a lot to ask to to do it all by himself. And I don't think we provided him with the either A the service or B the support to to make the most of him. Absolutely agreed. And, and talking about Johnny Hayes, it's a good goal we score um in the opening minutes of the second half. And it's just what we were looking for. I mean, a good ball at the top from Scott Brown, a good run in from deep from Johnny Hayes from the left back position. Beats the fullback, a good finish, exactly the kind of thing that we're screaming out here. A bit of pace, a bit of you know, a bit of dynamic play going forward that 
Ross County couldn't cope with because it was done in a relatively quick fashion. They couldn't get themselves sat back into a shape again. Exactly what we were looking for after controlling the first half, but feeling as though we weren't going anywhere with it to get that goal ahead. But then how typical is this? Within, what, five minutes? We've conceded a really soft goal once again, and we're back to square one. Um, when it comes to the goal, I, I'm going to sound so flippant here, but given the last 24 hours or so, I think I've got every right to be. <laughs> I mean, who would have thought when you get a conventional winger into an attacking area like that, you'd get some success out of it? Um, yep, yeah, good good ball. Um, first kind of bit of really good direct play, stretching the Ross County defence. And yep, yeah, good finish from Johnny Hayes. think he's come onto a game as of late. But yeah, I mean, what is it? Charles Cook ends up in a lot of space, able to take on Ramsey. Ramsey blocks a shot, and then it comes to it's Callahan, isn't it, that finishes? Yeah, Callahan's um, really, yeah. And it's typical. And like, if this is an Aberdeen player, you know, either he takes, takes a touch or he gets closed down, there's no one bursting a gut to, to reach him to, to try and block the shot. And yeah, Joe Lewis is left with no chance. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's typical again of what we've seen this season in terms of that would have been Ross County's first shot on goal today. Um, it goes in. You can't look at Lewis on that one at all. Lewis's stats this season are like fucking horrendous because he's not really facing many shots per se. But what seems to be happening is that they're guilt-edged opportunities for the um, for the opposing sides, and they tend to be going in. So like Joe Lewis's, you know, shots saved percentage this season is just fucking woeful and I feel really sorry for him because in the main it's been nothing to do with him. County kind of got their tails up a little bit at that point um, they kind of put us under a bit of pressure for the next few minutes and then we had such a great chance to to get a goal back again on the hour mark a, a really good bit of counter-attacking play one of the only times we really moved the ball quickly up the park again it found its way to Ramirez and his layoff to King Ojo was just dreadful forcing Ojo wide I think it was so bad it actually unnerved Ojo to an extent as well and he took a bad first touch and from the position he was in he kind of did well to get a corner kick out of it um it just kind of summed up once again the game the last few weeks of the season and well I was gonna say the last few weeks the majority of the season for us that even when we do create opportunities to, to try and capitalize we just don't take them I think someone on Twitter mentioned that, yeah, Ramirez is probably suffering from the pressure of being the sole striker at the club, which is what he is now. And that's... We'll come on to the transfer window. But still, there's so many times where there's simple things and he just doesn't do them well. It's just, it's starting to really frustrate me. I think it was another night where Ramirez didn't happen for him. And I get the point that he's a number nine and needs service. Yeah, sure thing. But when... The ball is coming into him and he's got no one around him and he's doing a stupid flick and he's giving the ball away or he's, you know, giving away needless fouls. It's just, yeah, it's getting quite hard to stomach, to be honest with you. Um, and that in that instance, um, someone else pointed out, he drags the defender towards the run of Ojo. So it's not yeah. even making, it's not even like capitalizing on the run. I think there was someone making it on the left. I can't remember, it might have been Jenks or I can't remember exactly who it was. Um, just, yeah. A very, very poor bit of play, and we need a lot more from him in that case. Yeah, I don't think that's unfair. I mean, I think I have a huge amount of sympathy for Ramirez. We've we've spoken about this until the, the cows come home on this podcast already. That it's 
clear as day to me, Ramirez is not a guy who is going to thrive playing as a number nine up top by himself. He needs somebody around him. He needs people closer to him. He needs to be able to just focus on, you know, getting himself into the 18-yard box and try to get on the end of service. And too often tonight, again, he's kind of coming deep to like 35, 40 yards away from goal just to try and get a hold of the ball, just almost just to touch it. Um, because he's been out of the game for so long. But all that that inevitably means is that when we finally do get the ball out wide or get the ball into somebody with a bit more of a creative nous about them, there's nobody for them to hit in the, in the box because Ramirez is making his way in there. It's just, it's really not working. That, that element of our play together with just the slow, ponderous nature of our passing sometimes. On the substitutions tonight, Teddy Jenks came on. I thought Teddy Jenks actually did okay when he came on I thought he injected a little bit of pace and a little bit of urgency and a little bit of trying to you know take the ball with him through the lines but he came off for Dylan McGeoch and McGeoch wouldn't have been the defensive or the sitting centre midfielder I would have hooked tonight no objection Jinx coming on big problem with who went off would have been Scott Brown all day all night long I thought it was another Similar to Simmerin, a very anonymous Scott Brown performance this evening. And he was lucky not to be sent off tonight, Scott Brown. Um, he, he had a really soft booking given against him for blocking off. I think it was a guy quite early doors, but there was a free kick towards the back end of the game where he tripped. I think it was Callaghan, actually. I, I think he was really lucky that Muir didn't give him a second yellow at that point. It would have been a, it would have been a really soft red card, but for a guy with the level of experience that Scott Brown has... Uh, <laughs> You know, it, it it seemed to me to be an entirely unnecessary attempt to to, to trip Calgan. Um, and yeah, it could have easily put us under pressure for the last 10 minutes there. And once again, similar to what we spoke about last week, just again, in a game we're expecting or you need somebody to try and drive you through it, it's kind of gone missing. And I go back to that fixture against St. Johnston before Christmas where it almost feels as though Scott Brown needs somebody to be niggling at him or doing something to him to make him be riled and rise to the kind of challenge, almost on a personal level, rather than it necessarily being about the team. Yeah, well, I mean, it wasn't directly to Scott Brown, but Callahan was being an absolute bampot all night. Yeah. He had that, in a way. Um, I think, again, what I was just trying to say there a minute ago is that if if that performance was a performance from a Dean Campbell or, you know, yeah, Connor Barron... Or Ojo. It would be them getting hooked, not Don yeah. McGeek. So this comes back to my point from, I think, last week, where I simply questioned the, the, the balance of power that that exists when it comes to Scott Brown's selection. Well, yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what happens next midweek, um, where Celtic come up to Pataudry, and obviously, you know, two times this season, Scott Brown has mysteriously had um, cramp in, in both games against Celtic this season and hasn't played the full 90, so... Let's, uh, let's see what happened there. On Dylan McGee, what did you think about his performance this evening? Uh, good. Yeah, very good. Is very good a bit far? Well, he's maybe one of the better players we had in the team tonight. So yeah, I, don't, I don't disagree with that. Uh, maybe not very good. He's certainly good. Did all, did all his work with the kind of class we've come to expect from Dylan McGee. Um, as I said earlier, I think there's an argument to be had that when he's in the team, he should be taking set pieces. I think that we saw what he had when Ramsey was out the team and to just dismiss him is seems foolish from my perspective. Um, I do wonder if maybe he went off because he's not played for what, 
a month, couple of months now. Uh, it's been a while, yeah. It's been a so long maybe, while. So maybe played. there's a match fitness thing there. We've got to account for that as well. But uh, yeah, I thought he did very well. I thought McGeek was kind of what I expect from McGeek, actually, to, to be honest. I think that he's a really tidy, classy centre midfielder. Doesn't really waste a lot um, of possession. I think he's always trying to look for a pass further forward. I don't think he's that kind of guy that automatically looks for a side-to-side kind of ball. I just wish he could keep himself fit because I actually think there would be a really good uh, future for Bill McGeek in the centre of the Aberdeen midfield going forward. But but there we go. Well, if he wants to, if being at Aberdeen is what he wants, then the next six months is, uh, is huge for him. Uh, absolutely. Definitely. Completely agree. Um, our second sub saw uh, King Ojo coming off. Jack McKenzie came on. <sighs> Was that the second? Was that the second sub? Uh, yeah, it would have been. Yeah, I think we only made two subs tonight. <laughs> Despite the fact we could do five, Does the manager know we could make five. Um, and again, a slightly bemusing substitution. Okay, it meant you could move Hayes into a more advanced position and try and get some pace on uh, on that side of the flank. But I don't know. I just I, I'm not sure. It's for me, it's not a good look taking a. And this is just me personally. I don't think it's a good look taking a guy who's playing further at the park to replace him with a left back when you're one-one with Ross County away from home. The way I look at it is that if Jack McKenzie was on the pitch on the bench tonight, that means he would be trusted to play a sizable part of the game if he was required to do so. Yeah. So why wasn't he playing for more? Um, and why did we not have like Johnny Hayes in a more advanced role? And you know, actually, you have some pace on both flanks with conventional wingers. Or if there's a perspective there that we need to change things up, then why did Adam Montgomery not come on the pitch? Yeah, uh, agreed. I mean, that could that could be purely on the basis that he only like, he would have only met, I guess, his teammates for the first time today. hasn't probably trained with them, so there could be an element of that. Yeah, we've we've talked with guys that have walked yeah. into that environment. Yeah, I guess we'll come on to Montgomery um, later on when we when we look at the transfer deadline day um, shenanigans debacle. Disaster. I don't know what word we what, what we'll use for that there, but I mean the game kind of then just really petered out, didn't it? Very very typical about what a lot of games have done for us this season, where we really just don't look as though we're really going to threaten to to take anything out of the game in the last ten minutes. Yeah, people snatching at half chances, just not thinking. Um, summed up by that final Ramirez effort that I think hit the corner flag on its way down. Yeah, not a great effort by um, the American. Not his his finest evening in a in a red shirt. It's fair to say. Just really disappointing again. I mean, all all the results across the country have gone exactly the way we would have looked for them to have gone this evening. Um, draws across the board, with the exception of uh, oh St Johnston uh, beating Livingston by two goals to one. Um, so we're going to talk to Liam from the Ammonville podcast later on, and he had uh, predicted that. Uh, St. Johnston might break their long <laughs> their long losing streak against Livingston this evening, um, and, and they've done so. But yeah, just really disappointing. Another opportunity missed in terms of trying to claw our way into that fourth spot. We could have been sitting tonight uh, leveling points with Hibs on 31, which would have tucked us two points behind Motherwell. Uh, you know, it's, it's two, weeks in the, two weeks in the trot now. We've dropped points in a scenario where we could have really put a bit of pressure on the teams above us and, and really got ourselves in a shout of finishing fourth and finishing fourth comfortably, potentially. And it just looks, it's so frustrating because it feels like it's a million miles away. But in reality, it's four points away and we've got a game in hand. Game in hand as well, yeah. So you could be talking about a potential two-point lead. 
I hadn't realized the um, potential financial rewards from finishing fourth next season. And we're sleepwalking our way into sixth place. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe even bottom six. I mean, if, I mean, I know they got beat, but Livingston have kind of got that together as of late. You know, you just need Dungeon 8 to go on a bit of a run. Um, starting to shape up to be just a really, really uninspiring season. Yeah, I don't disagree on that front. And certainly the transfer deadline day... Um, Issues haven't really helped with that. If let's just round up talking about uh, tonight's fixture, top dons for you. I thought Johnny Hayes was good. Bates McCrory bro, were, were pretty solid. Um, I'll go Johnny Hayes. Johnny Hayes, cool, good stuff. I thought Benjamin did enough for me to suggest that he looks like he might have something about him. So I'm interested and intrigued to see more from him as he gets you know a bit more used to his teammates and so on and so forth but I was encouraged by what I saw um this evening thought McGee played well we touched on it earlier on thought Hayes was was decent I actually thought Bates and McCrory were excellent again tonight um there's two big lads that uh, Ross County have up front for them and they really gave um Rangers a right ragdolling at uh, at the weekend and I thought Bates and McCrory really stood up well to that I mean in the first half especially Ross County's tactics were you know straight out of 1990s crazy gang Wimbledon stuff and um, I thought Bates and McCrory really stood up to that quite well I think a lot of people had concerns probably more so about Bates I guess probably just about his build about his ability to deal with big physical strikers thought he did well and I thought Ross McCrory was excellent I would actually give it to Ross McCrory tonight which Sounds mad because I didn't really think that they had a huge amount to do, but I thought what he did do, he did it well. So I'm going to go with Ross McCrory. Moving on to other news from Patoja this week. So Sunday brought the news that we've been expecting since, well, the summer, really. As Ryan Hedges departed Aberdeen to sign for Blackburn Rovers for an undisclosed fee, the 26-year-old departing Patoja, having made 86 appearances, scoring 18 goals in his time at the Dons. Gav, your thoughts on the departing Welsh wizard, Ryan Hedges? In some way, I'm relieved that the saga, if you want to call it that, is over and it's official that he has left. Um, leaves with a lot of good wishes, um, gave some some good moments. Very good player. Um, I think it's perfectly understandable that he's chosen to move on at this time in his career and probably, what, quadruple his salary going to Blackburn um, if they get in the Premiership next year then could very well set him for life happy for him in that sense um, I just think we really need to be working as of this moment it's Sunday as you say and there's not much time left and I hope we've got something planned for the eventuality that he would leave yeah I mean let's quickly touch on just now I fully expect as we've already said that there's gonna be a record scratch coming up in a minute but um, as we stand right now um Two signings in in this window in, in Dante Palvara and uh, Vicente Bajawin. Uh, Bajawin was in the squad to face St. Johnson at the weekend, so clearly well, his, his work permit has come through. That was confirmed by Stephen Glass last Friday, so I fully expect Bajawin to play some part in the game at, um, at, at Dingwall and, and to, 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 to play going forward. Big question marks there, though, about that one. I mean, I've seen some people say, I think Glass has been quoted somewhere saying that Bajoun hasn't wasn't brought in to replace Ryan Hedges. I suspect very much that Bajoun was brought in to replace Ryan Hedges. They seem to be very much like-for-like like, um, sort of players. The big difficulty here, of course, is going to be that Bajoun, as we spoke about in last week's episode, still very, very young. It's a completely different style of football he's coming to. Hedges at least came to Scotland from playing in um, in, in the Championship League One football with Barnsley in England. So was probably a bit more used to the freneticness, shall we say, of, of, of Scottish and British football. 
it's probably a bit much to imagine that the young Colombian-born Dutchman is going to adapt straight away to Scottish football and to pin a lot of hopes on him. I think it's a big ask indeed. And, you know, we don't, we've not seen him too much, but it doesn't appear to be as technically gifted with the ball as, as Hedges is either. Um, seems to be a bit more of a, a natural goal-scoring type of attacking player rather than the creative type that Hedges is. I think all I say is that if Hedges stayed um, and Bajelin had come in, I still think we were short on creativity. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Now that Hedges is gone, I think it leaves a, a huge gap. We've seen, listen, I mean, Hedges is an old school winger in the sense he's inconsistent, but when he's on it, he's he's very, very good for us. And he his presence alone, I think, creates space. We've seen it whenever he's not been unavailable. Our attack is incredibly limp. It has been for the last two years, especially. So, yeah, yeah, um, and it's a big ask for Bajawin to come and replace him. Um, even if, like I say, even if Hedges stayed, I th- still think we're short on creativity, and we really need to address that in the next twenty-four hours. Absolutely, and then, I mean, we spoke about last week. We, we desperately need. I, I would suggest we desperately need another number nine or a different sort of option up front from Christian Ramirez. Two reasons for that. I don't think we can rely on Ramirez right the way through the season to continue playing at the level he's mainly been at this season and, and to give us different options and also to be there in case we end up with an injury to Ramirez. It looks like Marley Watkins is absolutely going to be out until at least the kind of split, um, potentially even more longer term than that. So we are really, really struggling at the top end of the pitch. Rumours still persisting tonight. Again, this is Sunday night about Jamie McGrath, deal perhaps being back on. Um, Hibs seem to have got very excited this afternoon, Hibs fans thinking he was going to sign for them only to find out he turned them down again. This is on Sunday night, which probably means he's more than likely to end up rocking up at Cormac Park on Monday, um, going how these things go. Some other talk over the last couple of days was chat about this guy, Jacob Davenport from Blackburn on low. Um, that's an injury-plagued defensive central midfielder, so that probably fits the bill. Um, Mikey Johnston, still rumours persist about the Celtic winger potentially coming in on loan. It sounds like it would just be a loan, not a loan with an option to buy or an obligation to buy. Um, but it's gone very quiet, I feel, in the last 24, 40 hours from the rumour mill, the club. It's, it's gone deathly quiet, which is perhaps a good sign. It means maybe they're keeping things very close to their chest, and I think that we do our best business when we do that. But at the same time, at this time, at this point in the window, you're generally starting to get a feel that there might be some more activity happening. And at the moment, I feel we have to make signings tomorrow, Monday, but I'm not convinced we're going to. And the concern there is that if we do, they might not be the players we really want. They could be fifth, sixth choice in their position on the lists that we have, I'm sure. Um, Mikey Johnson's never convinced me at Celtic. So I can't say I'm hugely excited about that. And if it's a loan, I don't really want Aberdeen to be a development field for old firm players. We've been burned in the past. And like Ryan Christie was very good for Aberdeen, make no mistake, but it was such a hindrance to us whenever we played Celtic and we don't have our best player available. Yeah. Um, so yeah, can't say hugely excited about that one. Uh, Jake Davin, Jacob Davenport, you've just said, injury injury plagued and in a position that we have more than enough in the way of options and truthfully McGrath is that this whole thing is kind of boring me a little bit so um and I don't think he is even an answer to those creative problems that I've, I've mentioned there yeah so let's um let's move on from from that just now hi there again um 
this will hopefully be the last time we have to do the whole record scratch thing, given that the transfer window has now slammed shut. And uh, Gav, it's fair to say that it was, uh, is interesting the right word? Probably not interesting. Disappointing Monday evening. In many ways, we don't actually need to do the record scratch because nothing's really changed. <laughs> That's also true. That is, that is definitely true. Let's look at what did happen. Adam Montgomery coming in on loan from Celtic to the end of the season. He's 19 years old, got a couple of Scotland under-21 caps, uh, 18 appearances for Celtic uh, this season, including, I think he played against us at Pataudry, didn't he, in the, the 2-1 defeat early in the campaign. He is the defender on the post that <laughs> could not reach the Lewis yeah, Ferguson header. That couldn't jump. Um, a real white man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Being sold as being you know pretty flexible because he could play basically anywhere up the left-hand side. From from what a lot of Celtic fans seem to have been saying, I think he's probably more actually of a left-winger, but he'd been deployed on a few occasions at left-back for them this season. So I think there was a little bit of confusion or assumption yesterday he was coming in to us to play left-back, but probably more predominantly he's here because he's got flexibility, which is what I think Stephen Glass indicated in his uh, comments on the transfer as well. Now, we've got a lot to say, I think, about our deadline day activity yesterday um or lack thereof yeah in terms of just bringing in loan players from celtic where are you on this one i'm probably where i am when it comes to bringing in loan players from anywhere in the spl particularly when there's no option to buy there's no indication that this is a long-term move in benefit for aberdeen i i don't like it um i take the view entirely on board i i liked ryan christie when he was at when he was at aberdeen i thought he was a very good player for us but when it counted he wasn't available for us and that was the cup finals against celtic and we're fundamentally doing the same job for them with christie and now with montgomery as you know and huntley are doing for us with a tom ritchie um it's doesn't line up with the the way that i was told by stephen glass and stephen gunn in the summer that our transfer recruitment model was going to work and i'd frankly rather see us use that time that space in the squad for someone that's going to be here that we can benefit from both on the pitch and financially in the future if we've decided that connor barron is worth a place in the first team squad off the ba- off the back of what he's done at kelsey hearts kieran and gwenya is doing the exact same work at the same club then i don't see why we don't bring him back yeah, and I guess there's maybe a few different... We don't really know the reasons why Montgomery was 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 picked up. Um, and we'll maybe come on to that in just a second. I think I fundamentally agree with you as well with regards to the loan um, setup here. Like, at the end of the day, Celtic and um, Sevco have got their cult teams, whatever you want to call them, sitting in the, in the lowland league. So if they want to blood young players and give players experience and they can go and do it there um that was one of the reasons that they kept on bumping their gums about why they wanted to have those teams in in that setup in the first place um and listen i, I could see some people yesterday on twitter try i think insinuate that we were hypocrites on our podcast for calling out the club about trying to hold up the ryan christie deal was being this great successful thing that happened for us because uh, people were trying to insinuate that we were kind of hypocrites because, you know, I bet you still cheered him when he scored a goal or when he scored against Hibs in the kind of Scottish Cup semi-final and stuff like that. So, well, of, of course I did because 
when it boils down to it, I want my team to be performing well, and I want my team to to be to be winning things and getting into cup finals and 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 winning semi-finals and all that good stuff, and getting and finishing as high up the league as we possibly can. And Ryan Christie absolutely helped do that for us in the majority of his time at Aberdeen. I think probably the last two or three months of his second spell here was maybe a little bit. It wasn't as good as fair to say. But the fact still remains, exactly as you touched on there, Gavin, that when it, it really counted, he, he couldn't play for us in the Scottish Cup final in 2017. And we were a much, much better side in 2017 than we are now. But Christie was probably our best player in that last, in the time he was here on loan. Certainly from a creative perspective, even though, even though we had McGinn and Hayes, Christie was the guy playing in behind Rooney that really helped link everything together. And we looked like such a blunt force in the cup final without him being there. So we miss out on that. We develop, we rescue his career to an extent. Let's let's not try and pretend otherwise. He was going absolutely nowhere at, at Celtic. We give him the game time. We allow him to develop at a higher standard than where he was with Inverness Cali. Then he goes back to Celtic and okay, yeah, there was the, the talk about us buying him and all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, couldn't play against Celtic for us when he was here. So he's effectively still benefiting Celtic to an extent because he could play against, you know, their rivals for us. We don't get the benefit of him against them. And then to cap things off, we send them back to Celtic. We actually don't get an opportunity to buy him properly. And then he scores the fucking winning goal against us in a cup final. Like, that's why I've got a fundamental issue about taking in these guys because at the end of the day... What did we actually get out of the Ryan Christie loan deal? I can tell you that's that. We got diddly squat out of it on a tangible level. So that's why I don't like these moves full stop. Now, there might very well be... I was bemused by the signing yesterday of Montgomery. And I just want to say, this is nothing about the kid. I hope he comes in. I hope he does well for us, as I hope anyone who comes in in a red shirt does. But it just was like, this doesn't strike me as being the area of concern we have in the squad going into Monday the 31st of January, was on the left-hand side of the pitch. I mean, it, it depends where he's going to play. I mean, if, if he isn't going to be, you know, a left-sided option as the in an attacking sense, then I think it isn't an area we needed to improve upon, certainly with the departure of, of Ryan Hedges and the long-term injury of Marley Watkins. It just feels like a lot of pressure to put on a very young man who's not played much first-team football in that position. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as you say, it's like he's kind of on a hide. It feels like he's on a bit of a hiding to nothing because I think people will turn against him pretty quickly. Yeah, I agree with you about that. Off the back of the, uh, off the, back of the nature of the move. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very confusing. I, I said it last night. I, when I saw it happen, I was like, the only way I can make the only way I can make this make sense in my head is that we've got concerns about McKenzie's fitness towards like about his ability to see out the season because he's had a lot of niggly injuries. He's not fully recovered from them. There've been talk about whether he was or wasn't going to be fit. I know that Scott Burns had said yesterday that the indications were that both McKenzie and Hayes were fit. So fine. But Glass has also got form for being evasive shall we say with press conferences about players who are injured etc so that that was literally the only thing i could think was that we have a concern here about mckenzie and hayes potentially and their ability to both see the season out and we decided we wanted to bolster to, to take in somebody who could play left back and could play up the wing if needs be with a view that i'm guessing that 
we don't really want to put Campbell in that position at left back if we can avoid it. And then I look further at the park and I go, well, you've still got options you could play left wing anyway. Like Conor McLennan's predominantly coming and played off the left when he's coming this season. Johnny Hayes can play up there. Ojo can play on the left if you really needed him to. But Zhao can play off the left from what we've heard from Den Haag. I suppose Matty Kennedy can play off the left if you really need to. So it feels to me like it really wasn't an area of the park that we really needed to strengthen. And like I say, the only reason I could have fathomed was because there might have been concerns about injuries. But lo and behold... Hayes plays tonight. And Jack McKenzie on the bench and comes off the comes off the uh, comes off the bench and plays for a bit. So it's like I don't get it. I don't understand why we're doing it. And I know that some people were talking about. I know you've just touched on there about Nguenya. It could be, and I might give them the benefit of the doubt on this one. When Stephen Gunn and Stephen Glass spoke on the Q and A's at the start of the season, they talked about looking at pathways, etc. Could be they've decided that you know what Nguenya is not quite ready to come back, and they feel that he'd be better placed spending another six months playing 90 minutes every week for Kelly Hearts than sitting on our bench. And maybe Montgomery's going to come in and basically sit on our bench for till the rest of the season. And so it's not technically blocking a pathway for one of our players, potentially. Gets us to the summer. At that point, maybe Nguyen is ready to come back into the first team fold. It just strikes me as being an utterly bizarre and odd move. And I'm really struggling to wrap my head around why, basically. Do you know when you like play football manager... <laughs> yeah. and you're like it's in like the summer or january and you've got a transfer budget yeah and you just kind of realize you've got space left in your budget and you don't really need anyone but <laughs> kind of just want to use it up well it's like the council when they've got their roads budget isn't it and then <laughs> like you see it kind of march time suddenly all the potholes start getting fixed because they need to use it <laughs> it just it just feels to me like a signing that's been made for the sake of making a signing Maybe. I mean, I think that's an incredibly cynical take on it. But at the same time, I, would, I wouldn't I would be surprised. Because I take your point there. But if the concern is Jack McKenzie and Johnny Hayes' fitness, then why the hell are we signing a guy who's we're reliably being told is actually a left winger who can play left back? Well, yeah, I, 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 I agree. This is like literally, yes, I was like, the only way I can make this work in my head is this. And that's me trying to fit a narrative to try and make the thing. It's like, I'm literally sitting there screaming, like, try, like, make this make sense to me. I, I don't get it. And I think that the issue is, yesterday, last night, if Montgomery had come in on this deal and he was one of three signings announced yesterday, I don't think it gets anywhere near the attention that it ends up getting, if I'm honest. The fact that it's the only piece of business we did on uh, deadline day just heightens it to make it look even more odd. So why don't we go ahead and just uh, do a complete debrief? So. Uh... I'm sure you've got them there in front of you. So incomings and outgoings in January. Uh, I don't actually have it in front of me, so I'm going to have to try and I'll have to try and remember them off the top of my head. So outgoings, let's do those first. Uh, Jack Gurr, Niall McGinn, Austin Samuels, Matty Longstaff, Ryan Hedges. Five. I feel like I'm missing someone. Uh, Ronnie Hernandez. Ronnie Hernandez, of course. Six. Six out. Six out. Three in. Yeah, that feels right. Incomings. Dante Pulvara. And his dodgy hernias. Straight into Aberdeen Royal Infirmary. <laughs> yeah. Um, Vicente Bujawan and uh, Adam Montgomery. That's our three. And of course, who could forget um, Matty Kennedy and Mikey Devlin, who are like new signings. So, and okay. And, and I've seen some people go, well, actually, just because we cleared people out, we don't have to replace six with six. And I agree on that front, to be, to be honest, because... Hernandez, you can barely count Hernandez because he wasn't here anyway. So fuck it. Hernandez doesn't really count. Matty Longstaff doesn't count. Jack Gurr, 
doesn't really count to me because he was adding nothing when he was here. McGinn, we 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 did the kind of thing on McGinn last week. He wasn't really adding anything to us at the moment. So we've kind of cleared a lot of deadwood and wages off the books, I'd imagine, in our outgoings. Hedges, we touched on it earlier on in the show, very inconsistent, but probably our only real true creative outlet this season so far. So the biggest miss out of the six that have gone out. You could probably argue, and I know that Glass has said he isn't, but Bajowin is clearly a direct replacement for Hedges, I would suggest. Possibly, but yeah, still still very light. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm coming to that in a second. So even if you want to say Bajowin is the direct replacement for Hedges, fine, that's one for one. Dante Povara is clearly going to be a project player. I'm going to be amazed if he comes in and plays a significant amount of games between now and the end of the season once he gets himself fit. Unless he's an absolute gem and he's ready to go but i'd be amazed if that was to happen so that's a project player and he's also a defensive or he's also a central midfielder of which we've got fucking hunters and then adam montgomery who were kind of a bit like why is he here um and i think everybody going into this transfer window and particularly in the last two or three weeks when it's become more and more apparent that marley watkins is knackered Jet's re- Jet had that little purple patch before Christmas and is kind of, after submitting last week, it's fair to say has reverted back to type. That we've just got such little in the way of creativity around us that we needed, in my view, at least two options. We needed to bring two players in, from my perspective, who could play in the attacking areas of the park. I think we needed a creative type, number 10 type player, because I don't see enough of it from Jenks. We saw tonight against Ross County, I don't think Ferguson could play in that sort of role. Jowen maybe could going forward, but he looks to me like he's going to be played out in the wing. Jury's still out in like some Matty Kennedy and guys like this. And, and we also need a, a either a second choice number nine, or we need somebody who can play up top with Christian Ramirez. So this has been glaringly obvious now for weeks that we needed at least two players in that in those positions. And so to have come out of the transfer window with no options up there. We're now literally going into the back end of the season where we can still, it's still eminently possible for us to finish in fourth place this season, given how the league is going. And we're still in the Scottish Cup. We're going into the back end of the season with one recognised first choice striker on the books. And it's a guy who doesn't fire on all cylinders all the time. Christian Ramirez is a very hot and cold player. We've touched on already this evening with regards to the performance against Ross County and last week against St Mirren. And part of me looks at Ramirez, right? And I'm like, he's running himself into the ground, being the only striker we have that can play in the position he's being asked to play in. He's getting more and more frustrated as it goes. And would you be at all surprised with our luck for him to end up with a season-ending injury in the next two weeks? Well, there was a tackle from, I think, the boy Watson tonight. I was was sure that's it. That's what I thought as well. I was like, there we go. And if that happens, we're like, what are we going to do? Like, in all seriousness, what are we going to do if that happens? I've seen some uh, replies to our various tweets that have gone out uh, <laughs> last night. Uh, some people saying that, well, did we not just sign Vicente Bajawan, who we rely, who are told can play a number nine if you so wish? But it sort of sounds like in the same way that Don Ball could play right back. You yeah. don't really, but you don't want him to. Um, Jet for five months as number nine doesn't bear thinking about no michael ruth is back um but and i don't want to sound like i'm picking on michael ruth but he couldn't get into a 
fucking terrible Falkirk team, so that doesn't fill me with confidence. I've seen people saying that what we've really ultimately done is we've moved Deadwood or we've moved Dross on, and that's, for the most part, accurate, um, with the exception of Ryan Hedges. Yes. The issue I take with that is that in the summer, before we made that late flurry of signings, I was very much of the opinion that we needed reinforcements for the squad. Now, the fact that the ones that came in, with the exception of Marley Watkins, and Watkins is out anyway, that doesn't change the fact that I still think the squad in attacking areas especially is incredibly light. So for us to not address that in any way, it's just going. And then I look at the bench we had against Ross County tonight, and it's, I know there's experienced players in there, but like Matty Kennedy, Connor McLennan, Jet, as I've just mentioned, are these the guys that are going to change games for us? Are these really options that we should be looking at and thinking this, these are the game changers? It, just, it doesn't work for me. Well, if there are the game changers, they didn't come off the bench tonight, did they? No. Which says to me that the manager doesn't really think they're game changers. It's the only conclusion you can draw from that. Matty Kennedy, I'm going to give Matty Kennedy a chance to see what he can do now that he's fit again. I didn't feel like he showed anything in his initial run as an Aberdeen player to justify being here, but he's been out for a long time with what seems to be like a bad injury. I'll give the guy the benefit of the doubt and let's see what he can do when he gets an opportunity. Conor McLennan, we touched on it last week, he's played 100 times for Aberdeen now. I, I, just, I just don't see it. And again, I don't want to pick on him as an individual, but I just I just don't see it. <sighs> Jet, I mean, like, we'll come on to the conversation with Liam from the Almond View podcast shortly. It's fair to say I think we've been done up like a fucking kipper on the Jet deal. As you say, I don't, I don't want to... I really don't want to have a go about Michael Ruth. I know next to absolutely nothing about Michael Ruth to judge whether he's a good player or not. Obviously, he has a, has a very good track record at youth level, etc. But he was on loan at Arbroath, I think. Didn't really pull up any trees there. Was out at Falkirk. Did okay, I think, initially at the start of the season. Scored a couple of goals. But then when the new manager came in, just got completely bombed out of the side. If you can't get a game in a really rotten Falkirk side, then making a step up to be the number nine for Aberdeen is, is a huge, huge leap. Can't see it happening. I, I, I said it last night that I was like, I almost don't even know what to say about this anymore. I, the one thing I will say, and I said it last night, and Gav, I, I, I don't know if you'll agree with me on this one. Um, Graham, I think, seemed to certainly kind of agree with me about this last night when we were texting. I actually, I genuinely feel, notwithstanding some of the huge, huge question marks that still exist around whether he was the right choice, whether he was the right guy for the job, his ability to influence games from a tactical perspective and from a managerial perspective, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I feel hugely sorry, um, and I've got a huge amount of sympathy for Stephen Glass about what's happened yesterday because I, I simply refuse to believe that he's going to be very happy with having to go into the back end of the season with the lack of attacking options he has at, at his disposal now. I feel he's been let down by the people above him from that perspective. And you know what? It's been mentioned, and I don't think we've ever talked about this in so many ways, but um, kind of the second manager, two Januaries in a row, who's probably been let down by this board. Yeah, I mean, it's not a fair shout. I, I, I mean, I get the point that they maybe lost faith in McInnes' ability to recruit last year. Yeah. But it's not about the manager. It's about giving the team the tools to 
to succeed. And if you're telling me truthfully that after raising what five million pounds over the course of six months with McKenna and then Cosgrove, mm-hmm. that St Johnston's third choice striker was really the best we could do. That's what that's what McKenna truly wanted. Then I'd I'd invite you right to my house because I've got some magic beans to sell you. Yeah, hey, I, I completely agree about that. I mean, I, I suspect part of what happened last January was part of a process of managing Derek McInnes's departure from the football club and, and moving him towards the exit door. I suspect this what's happened last January. That is most likely what has happened. And I would legitimate question to ask, is that in the best interest of the club? I guess you could cut that argument in a couple of ways. But not the question of moving Derek McInnes on, but just, you know, cutting the manager's legs from underneath him and giving him nothing to work with in the second half of the season. Yeah. Hey, you're right. And you can answer that question a couple of different ways. Because I can, I can take the view that if they know this guy is not going to be in the job in six months' time, why would we let him go and spend money on buying players in who are going to sit on two or three-year deals, for example, and take up space in a squad that the next manager, because at this point they've already decided this is what's happening, might not actually want. So I, I, I can kind of see why that happened last January, but you're still right. It, it cuts the manager's ability to do anything. It, it, for all we know, McInnes could have turned last January around and we could have gone on a run and we could have ended up finishing much higher, well, higher up the table than we, than we ultimately ended up doing or, or done something a bit more impressive in the Cups or, or whatever. But we didn't. And, and that's where we are. Without wanting to dwell on the McInnes thing, I just want to look back at yesterday again. And I still fundamentally think that he's been badly let down here, Stephen Glass, by, I'm going to say Stephen Gunn and Dave Cormack are the two I'm going to point my ire at, at this moment in time. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing with with much of this at all. Um, I think people are correct in that, yeah. There's been some chat as well about perhaps we're letting Stephen Glass off the hook too much with this in terms of what he did in the summer um but what i've said said there about mckinnis stands with glass we needed to give the team the tools to turn this to turn the second half season around and have a real chance of winning the scottish cup which is a huge ask and making our way up the table um it's starting to feel like we are a football club who have people in charge who don't know how to run the footballing side of a football club and that's a very concerning state of affairs. Yeah, I I wasn't intending to use this as a spot to necessarily critique certain individuals in the hierarchy, but it's maybe about as good a place as any to do it because we've not really touched on it at all, I don't think, in the, in the time we've been doing this podcast. I think we've, we certainly spoke about the fact that like, I had a lengthy discussion today on Twitter, and I'm using discussion in inverted commas here with somebody who couldn't quite wrap their head around the fact that from my perspective, and we have talked, we've talked about this element on the podcast before, that not having the right structure above Stephen Glass at the time that Stephen Glass was appointed was fucking criminal. Like, you can't reverse engineer this, is the way I look at this. If you're going to turn around and say to a guy coming in the door to be manager, you're not going to have full control over transfers, for example. You're going you're gonna to work in this way then he needs to have all those people around him to work that way in place, in situ, before he walks in the door. It certainly needs to happen before you actually get to the summer transfer window. Because then you end up, and we've spoken about this, I don't know how many times, and I'm still going to bang on about this. You then end up in a situation where 
Stephen Glass is now suddenly having to probably do things he wasn't meant to be doing in his job remit in terms of identifying players that he wanted. And he's identified some that are not very good. And I'm not giving him a pass on that. But he shouldn't have been put in the place where he was having to do it in the first place. If you're going to turn around and say to, if you're going to turn around and say to 80% of the candidates who applied for the job, apparently, that you're not suitable for this job because you want full control over transfers and that's not the way we're going to do things, then you kind of have to have the structure about who deals with transfers and shit in place before the manager comes in the door. What I'd like to know is what's 80% of zero. Well, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm being, <laughs> I'm being fair and using the language that we've been given and using the statistics that we've been told. Because, in fact, it looks worse when you do it this way. To be quite frank, so we, we've been through this before. Head recruitment, Darren Mowbray didn't come in until. Does Darren Mowbray exist? Well, that, that's also a question. I would love to. I, I don't understand why he's not been put out for a red TV. Everyone that's come in has. <laughs> yeah done an interview of some kind is it some kind of like ploy so that no one at opposite clubs knows knows who he is who knows I, i've literally got no idea and has darren anyone out that, has anyone out there ever met darren mowbray <laughs> um, is it like just stephen gum with like one of those voice boxes or something so he comes in the door what two weeks a week, a week before the summer transfer window closed <sighs> a week so it was got, a week or two yeah yeah so you've got a whole bunch of guys who've come in the door beforehand who it's not clear who it is it's actually selecting deciding these are the right guys deciding these guys fit a philosophy in inverted commas or a style or whatever we 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 panic clearly on jet because we've got no fucking strikers signed for the summer because they've all we brought in the three diddies we brought in last january jet turn jet turns on in two games out of six that Stephen glass sees and i can kind of just just about understand why we end up doing what we're doing but it should have had somebody like a head of recruitment or head of analysis or a director of football turning around and saying, actually, you know what, Stephen, I, I can see what you're saying here and I can see why you're thinking about this, but this guy doesn't really fit the bill for what we want from a style, from a philosophy, from a blocking pathway perspective. Look at his track record. Do the, do the due diligence, do the analysis and don't bring the guy in. You know, there's huge question marks about that, but I, I still want to go back to yesterday because I still, I, I refuse... Well, I'm saying I refuse to believe. I'll be astonished if Stephen Glass, come midnight last night, was satisfied that the squad he has is enough to do what he wants to do this season. This comes back to a point we've made earlier in the season. I can't remember what it was, but then it comes back to the sort of lack of transparency or the, or the mixed language that's of what is the season about. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree from that perspective. But let's just let's just look back at it. I mean, the, the typical way that these structures work is manager says i need xyz head of recruitment and his staff go off and they try to find players who fit the the profile that the club are looking for who try to fit the style of what we're looking for who should be theoretically within our budget parameters etc they come back with a list of options like a menu and say to them and, and give them all the stats and all the analysis that they've done stick in front of the manager and the manager goes yeah okay i like player b i think he looks good go get me player B and then it's up to the director of football to go and do the deal yeah that's how this typically works as my understanding yeah that's uh I believe that yeah they would come back and say well you know Zlatan Ibrahimovic is a free agent so how about it <laughs> yeah right we're not Sunderland till I die I don't know well fuck knows maybe we are um, <laughs> does it feel like we're a million miles off it and even yesterday you know Scott Burns is a man in the know 
knows what's going on. He had tweeted it at the time that the Montgomery deal was announced that we were still working on other transfers at that point. So there was still clearly deals being considered in the works, whatever. And ultimately, those deals never got across the line. And the person who's responsible for getting deals across the line is... Steve Gunn. Stephen Gunn. Which brings me all the way back to this discussion about <laughs> if you're going to set up a structure like what we've done at Aberdeen Football Club over the summer, which, by the way, I've got no issues with about this type of structure. I think that this structure is what a modern football club should be looking to try and do, to be quite honest. But if you're going to put that type of structure in place, and it's the first time it's happened at Aberdeen for a very, very long time that we've looked at this kind of idea, because we've had directors of football before and they've never really worked out. I don't think it's the right thing to be putting a guy who's got no experience of being a director of football in that seat at Aberdeen Football Club. It's not, for me, uh, a training ground. Same story as what Tom said, Tom Watt said, regarding Stephen Glass. It's not a training ground to be a manager. It shouldn't be a training ground to be a director of football. And listen, I know that in in some of the guys we've spoken to who are from kind of more recent uh, generations of Aberdeen teams, they'll all talk very highly about Stephen Gunn. and I think about his passion and his dedication for the club and all that kind of good stuff. And I don't doubt that for a minute, but I think it's fair that the club, or I think it's fair that supporters are now challenging and asking questions about how we've got to where we've got to. And ultimately whose neck is on the line about shit that happened yesterday, for example, because that's an unacceptable state of affairs for Aberdeen football club to be going into the back end of a season See if we were sitting in six. See if we were sitting in seventh spot, right? And we were miles away from relegation, and we were also at the same time miles away from fourth spot, which is Europe. And for, I can't even believe I'm trying to say the fourth spot's like an achievement, but fucking hell. And if we were already at the cups, and you just looked at it and went, "Well, you know what? <laughs> this is definitely a season that we just have to write off now." You could kind of just about understand, you know what? Keep our powder dry. January can be a difficult window to operate in. That we kind of go with what we have and fuck it, we'll kind of see where we get to and we'll put all of our focus and all of our attention into the summer recruitment campaign. But the fact of the matter still remains that we're still in the Scottish Cup and we're still in with a great chance of finishing in a European spot this season, which given how the season started would be almost miraculous. Yeah, put the words right in my mouth. Um, I'll quote Tom again. There are some, the league this year has been, (laughs) I don't want to say it's been shite, but I mean, there's some very poor teams that are in the league and we're not taking advantage of that, not even coming close to taking advantage of that. And as we sit here, post-Ross County, it's 23 games played. So what's that? 69 points. And we've got 29. So we've lost 40 points. And yeah. That's, that's way, way below where we should be. Uh, I mean, yeah, completely, completely agree with that. And I think, you know, what's interesting again is that now we are sitting here again, um, a fan base, which is quite rightly, I think, angered by... Angered, disillusioned. Yeah, by 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 yesterday's events. And our esteemed leader is fucking nowhere to be seen once again. Intriguing also that even the local rag decided to have a go at him today. Well, I did see that, and that's... Um, that that is a unusual turn of events, shall we say? But you know, once again, I think there was there was a I don't know who it was that said we would have a strong we would come out of the, the January window stronger. 
I believe that was Stephen Glass. It might be Stephen Glass, right? So clearly he believed we were going to do some business. Dave was giving us the old the hashtag breathe fucking tweet he did about Povara early in January. And it was clearly very much how well we're going to do some business. So get over yourselves and stop it. And here we are. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, we've got rid of some deadwood. So the squad's maybe not immeasurably weaker per se, but that's not really the point. The point is that we've got a glaring holes in the squad that haven't been fucking addressed. And just, uh, Dave, we've said it before. I don't know if you listen in. You probably don't. I mean, that's being extremely egotistical to suggest that you do. But listen, the door's open. Um, you keep on promising to do these Q and A's, um, and then don't. And maybe it would be good for the for the support to hear an unfiltered, an unedited, an unprompted question and answer session where you don't get to see the questions in advance and come on and answer them as truthfully as you can about why we are where we are. Doors open. We've had people on this show from Atlanta. <laughs> we have. We can, we we can have. make it work. We can accommodate the, the time difference. It's not a big issue. Um, all in all, just a, an incredibly disappointing end to January. And, and it leaves a lot of people clearly just wondering where we're going this season. This season and beyond. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, that was depressing. Let's move on. Uh, I guess the other big news that came out of the club during the course of the week was about Dante Povara, I think. Um, just the news that he's had uh, or undergone a planned operation. It's going to be out of action for a couple of weeks um, as a suggestion from the player himself. Went under the knife on Friday, just gone past. There's actually quite a good interview with him on Red TV that went out. It's a good 20-minute kind of stint. I actually think it's quite a good a good piece of work. Seems like a good lad. Um, fingers crossed that he can perform on the pitch as well as he comes across off it. Here's hoping. Um, I think all I'd say is there, that if it was a planned operation, why not just say when he signed that he's going to have a planned operation and just not let us feel that sense of disappointment when we go on Instagram and happen to see that he's, you know, yeah. kept up in a bed in the hospital. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's one of these, again, that I just feel that the club sometimes shoot themselves in the foot with a little bit. Um, so talking about potentially shooting themselves in the foot, here's one for you. NFTs, non-fungible tokens. These are all the rage at the moment with football clubs, footballers, celebrities, social media influencers, musicians, artists, etc., etc. And we thought maybe this seemed like a good opportunity to talk about them and to talk about if hypothetically, for example, the club were thinking about hypothetically getting involved in NFTs as a way to increase commercial revenue for the club. But first, let's look at NFTs themselves. To all intents and purposes, NFTs are being sold, being used now by you know, uh, musicians, artists, businesses, you know, um, these kind of social media influencer idiots that you hear about all the time, but you've still got no idea who the fuck they actually are. Being sold as a kind of digital asset that can be brought and sold on the market like any other piece of property. And so theoretically their value can increase or decrease depending on market demand. Uh, market demand. So I guess a simple way to think about them is maybe think about it. Think about them like uh, digital sports cards, but they're one-offs. And at high level, NFTs are part of the Ethereum blockchain. Now, Ethereum is a form of cryptocurrency, and its blockchain is the one that supports NFTs. And they work slightly differently to 
a typical Bitcoin. Now, people out there kind of try to suggest that you should look at NFTs as being a medium to trade and own digital art. I don't know if that helps with this idea, this concept. Now, of course, the issue with this always is that on a digital level, anyone can copy a digital file as much as you want, including any art that might be included with an NFT. So the NFT itself only provides you with the ownership of the work. So in the same way that let's try and make this a bit easier, I can have a print of a painting of Willie Miller lifting the European Cup Winners' Cup, but only one person will own the original painting. But there can be multiple prints out there in the world. Now, that, of course, makes sense to me in the physical world. I don't know about you, Gavin, but it's hard to gauge to me why someone would want to pay hundreds or thousands or millions of pounds for an NFT if any Tom, Dick, or Harry can actually copy the art that comes with it. Now, from my perspective, Gav, you can give me your take in a minute. This is a load of bollocks. It's a scheme designed to lure in gullible people to part with. They're hard-earned on the premise of owning something unique. Now, Logan Paul, yeah, that fucking idiot, sold an NFT video clip or sold clips, which are literally just clips from videos you can watch on YouTube and anyone can watch them on YouTube anytime you want. And some of those clips were sold for up to $20,000 a piece. Uh, now, Hibs and Sevco, obviously, of course, Sevco would be involved in this, have already kind of made moves in this area. I'm deeply, deeply troubled and bothered by the aspect of our club becoming embroiled in this type of stuff. For me, they're like a fucking Ponzi scheme designed just to suck cash out of gullible people thinking they're going to own something unique. That's uh, certainly the way it feels. And I've expressed displeasure in the past that some of our players individually are punting these things via Instagram. Um, I mean, Pyramid Scream is exactly what I think with it. Um, I don't, for the life of me, understand it. I don't, for the life of me, understand where the value comes in. With these NFTs, it feels to me much like, you know, the same level of value you get from giving Michael Devlin a new contract. <laughs> um, yeah, like I said, it seems, it strikes me as being something where individuals, companies, brands that have got some kind of name value out there can flog these things to people who think they're getting something that they're really not. And at the end of the day, the people I see flogging them mainly are all just the worst people in the world. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's not something that really seems to align with my sense of value, sense of values that Aberdeen uh, talk about a lot. So yeah, not happy if there's uh, any any truth in this rumor that we've that we've come across. Yeah, and I mean, to put it into context, even if you've got no idea what these things are about, if I tell you that John Terry and Lance Armstrong are hawking them, that probably tells you everything you need to know. And John Terry's appear to be targeting kids mainly. Yeah, and this is what really upsets me with this type of stuff is that it seems like it's targeting really naive individuals, whether it's kids, teenagers, even kind of young adults who maybe don't really understand necessarily the kind of value of money and what they're actually getting into and effectively they're owning fucking nothing at the end of this. I thought that my favorite thing about this was the fact that Lance Armstrong's NFT avatar or whatever the fuck you would call it is a cheetah. <laughs> which I can't decide if he's aware, if he's actually got any level of self-awareness about this or if that's meant to be some sort of like hilarious in-joke about the fact that he is a cheater. I don't know. I, 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 but yeah, I mean, I, I just want the club to steer away from this type of bullshit as much as possible. Now, we ran a poll about this on, on our 
Twitter feed now. Sunday night, there's still a couple of days left to go on this, but it's pretty fair to say there's a resounding level of opposition against it as well. So at the time we're, we're um, recording this just now, it's 87% of people are saying fuck no to this. I kind of feel, and I don't know if anyone from the club listens to this podcast, I suspect that some people might actually do it. Maybe save yourselves a good bunch of cash from engaging this consultancy and take that poll result as evidence that the, the fans don't want anything to do with this and move on to something else, guys. On the women's side, Emma Hunter, Gavin Beast's side's game against Rangers on Sunday was postponed early doors due to weather warnings about Storm Corey. So next up for the women, it's the visit of Hibs to the ball model next Sunday. And in other news on the women's side, defender Jenna Penman left the club during the week to join Hibs in what will be a bit of a blow to the Dons setup and losing Penman who's impressed in her time with the Dons and has been recognised at under 16, 17 and 19 levels for Scotland. On the young team, a second trip in the last fortnight for Barry Robson's young team to Glasgow. This time they visited Rangers in the quarterfinals of the Scottish Youth Cup due to their loan moves. And with Finlay Marshall and Alfie Babbage both suspended, it meant a debut for Kai Watson and another start for 15-year-old Cammy Wilson, the home side took the lead in the first minute. The Dons doing well to weather a further onslaught before they equalised on 16 minutes. Blair McKenzie with a fine header from a sublime Dylan Lobbin corner. Rangers took the lead again on 35 minutes, a scuffed effort from the centre-half Allen finding the back of the net. And after half-time, the Dons got off to the worst possible start. The Rangers adding their third as Wilson scored his second of the game. Before the tie was finished on 60 minutes, Pansic curling a left-footed effort into the bottom corner. A tough one to take again for the young Dons, but a good showing against their older and more experienced counterparts. And it's back to Cass' under-18 duty on Friday night against Hearts. And on to Lone Watch. First up was the news that Mark Gallagher will join up with Luke Turner on loan at Cliftonville for the remainder of the campaign. Gallagher having been recalled recently from his loan at Forfar after struggling to get back into the side. Following injury, Turner continuing his run in the first team for Cliftonville on Friday evening, playing... The full 90s, they let a 2-0 lead slip at Ballymena. That game ending up in a 2-2 draw. Ballymena with both goals in the last four minutes to level things up. Storm Malik put paid to the Highland League fixture list on Saturday, so no action for Tom Ritchie at Huntley as a result. Elsewhere, Kieran Nguyenia lasted the full 90 for County Hearts as they needed a last-minute goal from Nathan Austin to see off Stranraer by three goals to two. Mason Hancock played the full 90 for Sterling Albion and their 0-0 draw at Annan Athletic. And Evan Tyler also played the full 90 as they went down by two goals to one away to Stenhouse Muir. Fellow Dons, Looney, Kevin Hanratty getting off the bench for the final 20 minutes for Elgin. And finally, in League One, Ryan Duncan with another 90 minutes under his belt as Peter Head drew 0-0 at East Fife. And moving on, the return, first time in a little while, to the Fantasy Football Scotland League. Gav, how's your week been? Well, I've been hindered by Storm Malik in many ways. Um, I have I have been denied the points from Lewis Ferguson, Ramirez, Scott Tanzer, and Jamie McGrath. So uh, 36 points, which seems pretty average for the for the week. That's again including a four-point deduction on my part because I just can't help go, but going over budget. <laughs> uh, 25 points for me. Another uh, well, this is again back to the fact that. Generally, when the Dons aren't playing, I, I don't really care that much. Um, Mulgrew, Sean Rooney. Sean Rooney's like basically out for the season, I think, and I've still got him sitting in my team. 
Furuhashi, who's obviously broken as well, just now he's still on my side. So one, two, three, four, five. Just, I had five players in my starting 11 who didn't score a point. So in a way, 25 points is not too bad. I probably need to really get onto that. Let's have a quick look at the ABZFP League. In fact, first of all, I want to just see how Graham got on. 41 points this week. Not bad. Well done, Graham. Not bad at all. And in the actual ABZFP League itself, oh man, I'm down to 210th now, which is which is not good at all. I mean, that's approaching the relegation places. It is, it is. But it, I'm only doing it for the benefit of our listeners and for the people competing in the league. It would be unfair for, for me to come in the top three and win one of the prizes, obviously. Well, that's the way I look at it as well. That's why I've dropped to 81st. Well, 81st, so you're still in the top 100. Jack Curran and his two turkeys leading the way. Building a sizable lead there. Yeah, 82 points up. Ahead of Matt's Marvels. That's a new name, I think, Matt's Marvels. I don't think we've seen that one before. I think we saw it for the first time just before the break. Did we? I, I think can't so. remember. I have a I have a memory like a goldfish. But um he's yeah, he's he's got them in his team. So there we go. Gold Frankincense and Gar, Stephen Brown in third spot. I love the name. I'm not picking favorites, but I love that name and I, I want this guy to win a prize. I would like him to win a prize. He's only got one of them in his team. Um, so he's not as bad as other people, but uh, he he see he knows what he's doing. He's benched a bunch of Aberdeen players this week. He's he's obviously keeping an eye on his squad. That knows what he's up to. Stephen Brown, Jack Silly Geese, fourth, Old Kent Road in fifth, and yeah, it's it's kind of oh nice one in eleventh spot. I'm not going to read it out because, well, for obvious reasons. But yeah, obviously, if you're up there at the top end of the table, keep on keeping on. Still some good prizes to be won. At the back end of the season. The Dons return to the Tony Mac. The spaghetti had for the second time this season on Saturday. We sat down with Liam from the Almond View podcast to discuss the game, reflect on our respective seasons to date. Amused about Jet for a little bit. And our memories of past meetings between the sides. Liam from the Almond View podcast. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. How's it going, mate? Thank you. Yeah, man, it's good. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. It's nice to be on a podcast that has listeners. So, yeah, thank you for having me on. Again. We try. We try. <laughs> it's all about the hashtag numbers. So it's all it is, it. man. That's why I keep telling. Honestly, like, see, like, I, I do all the social media for the Almond View, and like, I'm just constantly on my phone. My wife's like, "What are you doing? Like, what is it you do?" And I'm like, "So, it's all, it's all social media numbers, still. It's all social media numbers. That's it. Have to get the hashtag likes." It's, it's all about that and just like you know ridiculous Scottish football gifts that's all that's all I'm doing pretty much it's my life now absolutely so listen uh, obviously Liam Aberdeen returned to the Tony Mac uh, for the second time this season on Saturday so obviously we're recording this in a really awkward time on the Sunday night after your match against Hibs before you play St Johnston before we play Ross County on Tuesday night so we don't you know, it's hard for us obviously to gauge what happens then but we thought we'd have a chat just to kind of discuss the game it's kind of on Saturday and, and see what we thought so Livy on a, a decent run of form at the moment three three wins in the last five including that cut win over Ross County in a big win yesterday at Easter Road yeah it's um, I couldn't have predicted this at the start of the season um, it's been just phenomenal the past few games we've just been back to it's sort of using the sports scene cliche of it's back to normal living. Like, yeah, we've just, we just seem to have turned a wee bit of a corner. Obviously, we're still not out of it yet. And I will always say 
that we're we're going to get relegated uh, <laughs> until it's mathematically impossible. But at the moment, yeah, it's just been phenomenal. And that that game yesterday was just yeah. I, I, again, I just can't. It's very rare that Livingston sort of like go behind, like to go behind twice and still win. That's unheard of for Livingston, even uh, even in the past years that have went on. But now we we sort of really dug in second half yesterday, so it's been um, yeah, it's been amazing the past few games, and hopefully, Touchwood it will continue <laughs> for the next few as well. Well, maybe for Tuesday night, but not for Saturday. Um, A draw. Eighth, <laughs> eighth in the table now. You're only two points off of Aberdeen in sixth, and I guess we just touched on it there. Maybe a bit of a ropey start to the season for Livy, but seems as though things have settled down a bit now. Not shipping him many goals and starting to. Starting to score some goals as well. To be honest, though, we're still not we're still not scoring at home. That's been so. Uh, out of all of our home games, we've only scored more than one goal once this season. And that was okay. against Dundee last week. So on the road, I think that, that's where the majority of our goals have come from. Um, I think I read somewhere on the BBC that fif- we've we've gained fifteen points away from home and only eleven at home. Which is which is actually quite unlike Livy, but yeah, it, it's it's good to see that we're sort of you know we're we're challenging again, and yeah, there there was a few times at the start of the season that you know we were actually playing okay, but just just couldn't get the ball in the net. But now that you know we've got Joel Nubley back from our growth, uh, Bruce Anderson, who you guys all have seen a few times, like he he's starting to really find his feet. So hopefully the goals will. Um, We'll keep coming, but yeah, that's the only issue is that we're we're still not really scoring at home, which is a, a bit of an issue. But as long as we're keeping them out, that's all that matters. Yeah, it's uh, funny you mentioned Bruce Anderson there. So let's uh, let's have a little chat about the. Uh, I don't think it was an official swap transfer, but uh, there's some mutual mutual players between our two teams in the last transfer window. So, what have you made of Bruce Anderson in a in a Livingston shirt? I remember tweeting when it was announced that we were getting Bruce Anderson, and you were getting. J. Emmanuel Thomas, that Police Scotland would be at Livingston's door for fucking daylight robbery. Because <laughs> for us to get Bruce Anderson, who's what, 23, 24? In and around there, yeah. He's not, you know, he's not he's not going to score you 20 goals a season, but he'll score you 10, which is, you know, enough for a team like Livingston. He sort of struggled a wee bit. I think, I don't know, I know it, it sounds ridiculous to say, but. I think even maybe moving from you know Aberdeen where he was he's from Aberdeen or that area that's, isn't that's it? right yes well he's Banff I think isn't he or something like that or Bucky Banff but I'm Aber- gonna say Banff Aberdeen Aberdeenshire yeah. yeah so I mean I think even moving from you know maybe moving away from home mm-hmm. down to to the heights of West Lothian where there's one nightclub <laughs> uh, I think I think he actually maybe struggled because apparently. Because of his diabetes, he was actually not looking after himself very well. He wasn't training particularly well. Um, we've heard rumours that he's a bit of a shagger. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I think he was maybe just like capitalising. So Martindale went through him a few times um, at the start of the season. But we're starting to see, you know, he's, he's becoming a wee bit more consistent. And he has made that number nine jersey's own because for a while it was fucking we were playing Andrew Shinney up top which worked a couple of times in big games against Celtic and against Ranger eh, Harps in particular because he's a really intelligent footballer whereas Bruce not to sort of downplay him but he's not as intelligent as Shinney so 
Yeah. But ever since he's come back into the team, he's he's not lost his place. He was on the bench on Saturday, but I think that's just because of the, the run of fixtures we've got. It's just a bit mental. Like we've got six games in February or something. So probably just trying to keep him uh, keep him fit. But nah, uh, to go back to, to your sort of point, like, yeah. I, I can't believe that we got Bruce Anderson. We gave you Jet. Like, he's an absolute mugs, man. <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll talk about Jet again in a minute. I want to just quickly talk about Bruce Anderson still, just before we have to yeah. go through the pain of talking about <laughs> our number 14. What sort of system are you guys playing through this season? Are you still playing predominantly one up top? Yeah, so it's sort of, it seems more like a 4 3 3, but it is still. Yeah. One up top and like two inverted wingers or whatever. I'm I'm not like too savvy on that, but yeah, he's he's still playing up top in his own, which oh, this is this is where I was getting to is because I think most Aberdeen fans looked at Bruce Anderson and thought the reason he was never getting the run under McInnes was predominantly because you couldn't see him as the one, like a, a yeah. number nine out, out up there by himself. He's not quite got the build, he's not quite got the pace, you know. So he's not holding balls up, he's not winning balls, knocking him down. He's not also running in behind. So it was always like, he always looked at us, I think, Gav, this, you know, he can disagree with me, but he always looked to me like he was an old-fashioned striker who belonged in a, a, a pair. And he would be the guy running off of a, a big, like, a, a, a noobly for you guys, I guess, coming up. Um, so it's quite interesting that he seems to have actually found some form playing in that sort of system. Because he never really got a run, it's fair to say, for Aberdeen. Nah, no, I mean, yeah, that, that was the thing. Like, I remember he sort of burst onto the scene as, you know, I, I always find that, like, Aberdeen and Hearts players always seem to sort of burst onto the scene, like youth players. They burst on because they score against Rangers for Aberdeen or Hearts. They score always seem to score against Hibs. And then they just sort of, I don't know if maybe the fact that his first goal was against Rangers put him yeah. on this pedestal of, this guy's going to be class. And then they were like, oh, actually, okay. <laughs> we need to be a wee bit more patient but I mean he still does struggle playing up top in his own it's better when there's like the the and the wingers are a wee bit closer to him um, because he, he started winning the ball a wee bit he's starting to buy fouls and stuff he's becoming a wee bit more intelligent he knows how to play the number nine but he's still finding his feet at doing it um, but yeah we, we've been crying out for ages on our podcast like even before Nibley came back from our growth, that we were so excited to see the two of them up top together. It's not quite happened yet. And because of how Nibley played on Saturday, we're sort of like, will we actually see it? Because he played so well in the system that we are playing usually. So, um, yeah, but again, I think the competition is only going to do good for him. Um, Because at the time, he was our only striker at one point and, he got dropped for an attacking midfielder, as I said earlier. So the fact that there's a competition for an actual striker role now, there's a couple of them that are that are there. Um, we got some boy from uh, Aston Villa, whose name no one can pronounce. Uh, and there's a, a guy, we signed some American international through the week who can play striker. So competition's healthy for him. And yeah, I think he is starting to become... A wee bit more savvy in that number nine role. Yeah, well, that American striker, that's Sebastian Soto from Norwich, isn't it? Comes with a, I think he came to Norwich with a pretty hefty price tag. So yeah. in theory, that could be a could be a bit of a deal for you guys. When we talk about Bruce Anderson, though, I think the 
thing that stands out to us as Aberdeen fans from the two games we've played this season. <laughs> he's played with a spikiness and almost aggression. I think he clearly feels he's got a point to prove to the club that effectively decided he wasn't good enough for the level. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, yeah, it was kind of almost surprising just how aggressive he would play and the determination he showed. And that, I think, leads us on nicely to the player we got as part of this deal. What? <laughs> Every Aberdeen fan has got an opinion about J. Emmanuel Thomas. You have probably seen more of him than we have. Um, yeah. I think he's played more a prominent role for Livingston than he has for Aberdeen. Can you tell us your recollections of the one they call Jet? <laughs> <laughs> Man, he was just such an enigma for Lovey. So he started, he came in. So he replaced, to go all the way back to the start, we had Lyndon Dykes at the start of last season. Yeah. He was then replaced by Anthony Stokes, who lasted, I think it was like a day and a half. I forgot all about what this. Was, what yeah. was the deal with that again? So he... Apparently, so he came in and then the the line that the club used was that he's he can't play on the pitch. And you're like, all right, okay, <laughs> fair enough. But then it transpired that he was like, the club were asking him to come to games um, just to sort of see how the team play and like set up in a, in a real game. And he, he apparently said, no, I can't come today because I'm ill. And then Tyson Fury posted a photo of him and Anthony Stokes on a night out in Edinburgh. So <laughs> I think the whole can't play on the plastic pitch was a bit bullshit. But um, so, and then we got Jet to replace Anthony Stokes and he came in, he looked massive. He was just like, I always feel guilty saying that, you know, the footballers are overweight because I'm overweight. <laughs> That's like the, the irony, but he just didn't look, he didn't look fit. And it was one of those that he was that player at fives or sevens that he gets the ball and he's like, I'm going to do three step overs and then I'm going to take it by him and then I'm going to shoot top bin. But by the time he's thought about it, he's lost the ball and we've conceded a goal. Like, it, it, he was just so frustrating. Up until about February last year and then all of a sudden he just changed. He just became like the world's best player. And it was the most bizarre thing ever of just like everything he touched he was just brilliant that that game the, the Scottish Cup game against Aberdeen I think it finished two each and then you beat two each yeah, yeah, yeah man I was like he was unbelievable that day I, like where the fuck has this guy been like and that was that was the weird thing like so I mean he was being kept out of the team by Scott Robinson man we had such a mental season last year <laughs> so he got chucked out this, the team because he threw a strop about being substituted against <laughs> Rangers on live telly. So then he thrust up, Jet was then, and then as soon as Jet came into the team, he never lost his place. And he scored some unbelievable goals. But it was just one of those that you were like, what, what, what is this guy? Like, what? And I think he hadn't played for a year, so it took him a while to get adjusted. But then now, as much as I said that, you know, the polls were going to be at our door saying that we'd stolen. <laughs> or daylight robbery, but I was I was like, he's gonna go into Aberdeen and he is gonna be brilliant because he's gonna be fit. He's gonna be, you know, he, he wants to play that Aberdeen sort of style of football. He likes the ball on the ground. He's, you know, and then in, oh my god, it's it's like the complete opposite where he started really well, and then he's just fallen off a cliff. And I'm like, come on, 
man, because I do want to see him do well because he was brilliant at times for us, but I, I just cannot believe the difference in him. Like, it's just mental. I think we've been mugged big time off the fact that <laughs> Stephen Glass came in and it's Stephen Glass's first game in charge was that Scottish Cup tie. So I think Glass has come in and gone, fuck me, that boy's handy. Because he had like an absolute ridiculous game that yeah. day. And then, right. then we played you guys again at the back end of the season and he scored the worldie, the volley at the back stick. Yeah. Fuck, I forgot about that one. So again, yeah. and he played quite well that day as well. So it's like, I reckon Glass, well, Glass only managed us for six, seven games at the end of last season. Two of those games, Jet played phenomenally well in both of them. We had no contracted strikers on the books except for Bruce Anderson. So I kind of think he's looked at it and gone, fuck me, that boy was good. Like, we'll get a tune out of him and that'll be great. And as it turns out, he's come in and like, the first European game against Hecken, he was unreal. It, it was honestly, I, I was sitting there like, fucking hell, this is going to be amazing if this boy's like this. <laughs> he was like, he was playing like as a proper number 10, but he was just pirouetting and nutmegging Hecken players. And just, it was like, it was unreal. I can't remember the, the line I heard from somebody was recently about Aberdeen playing Watershy in 1983. I think it was Graham Hunter used it. But it was like, honestly, the Hecken players didn't know if they were footballers or koala bears by the end of the game. <laughs> with what Jet was doing to them. It was unbelievable. And then it's just gone off a fucking cliff from that point. Um, his performance last Tuesday night at St. Mirren is, I, I don't know if I want to say it's the worst performance of all time by anyone in an Aberdeen shirt, but I don't think it's far away from it. Gav? Everything Liam's just said there about how he visualizes what he's going to do. And by the time he's thought about it, someone's taken the ball. The ball didn't stick to him once. Mm-mm. No, everything would bounce off him. Someone in a submarine shirt would nip in front of him, and I, was just, I like I don't know what his job was, and that's we were talking about that last week. It felt like, why is this guy who's got this great talent on the ball? Why is he sitting next to Scott Brown, you know, popping the ball off to a defender rather than trying to create something? <laughs> but oh, he was just pish. I don't know what I don't know what else just to say about it. It was just so so abject. It yeah. looked it looked to me like what I'd expect him to be when he comes back from. When he comes back from Thailand, as he did for you guys, <laughs> yeah, well, that, that was the thing, man. That was like, yeah, he, he sort of got. I remember I, I was actually reading through some, like, I actually before I came on, I actually like searched my name on Twitter and put Jet along with it just to see what I was tweeting about him, yeah, at the time when he first came in. And I remember, I think it was like 15 games in, and I just said, like, I was like, this guy's not the answer. <laughs> like he is just he just looks uninterested I think I think he might have had that sort of it seems like I'm being horrible but like this like the English arrogance of man I could play in Scotland I think he was expecting Scotland to be like Thailand or wherever where he could just turn up he would be the best player in the park and on his day he can be but Man, yeah, I, it's just like I was hearing even like Richard Gordon on uh, Sports Sound the other night was just like this guy, like he just looks unfit, he just looks uninterested, and it's like the fact that he's getting singled out, yeah. and because Aberdeen are such like they're they're a much bigger team than Livingston, so when Jet wasn't playing well for Livingston, folk were just like he plays for Livy and what? Then he started playing well and he stood out like a sore thumb, but. You know, the fact that when he's not playing well in a team like Aberdeen, like he's going to get so much more stick. Um, it took it took the Livy fans a long time to take to him. And yeah, I think that it just seems as if it's the opposite way. Is he signed for two years? or one? Two-year deal, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, ex- mad. <laughs> exactly. Somehow I think it's going to be a struggle to convince someone to uh, take that contract on. Yeah, and you just paid money for them as well. Yeah, you, I know. You said to give us money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely fucking love it. I mean, we'll, we'll probably come on to this in a minute. I think like Livy have, I, I think of Livingston these days a little bit like how Greenick Morton were for us in the 80s. Like, <laughs> just like a real bogey team for us in, in a number of different ways. And I genuinely feel like you've pulled our pants down on this one big time. Yeah, I think after only one win for Livy in the past 17 years against Aberdeen, we had to get one over on you somehow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> In many ways, though, this feels worse than the 6-1 pumping at the dodger you guys gave us. Yeah, we're going to come on to that, I think, later on. But um, Let's move off a jet, because fucking hell, I don't, I don't want to depress myself further. But no, no, no. Let's, let's just let Liam know that he's not their concern anymore, and we are recording this. It's 8.47 in the evening on Sunday the 30th, so we've got, what, just over 24 hours to go in the transfer window, and we're one injury away from jet being our number nine. So, <laughs> Yeah, this is true. Whoa. And if that happens... <laughs> All I can say is thank God that St Johnston are absolute horseshit this season. Um, oh, it'll do. It'll do a job against them. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think we can? Um, how do you think Livy are going to approach the game next Saturday? Because you guys are in good form. Aberdeen's away form is fucking horrific this season, and that's been really polite about it. We've got two wins on the road, um, which have come about from your goalkeeper throwing one in for us and Teddy Jenks playing basketball at McDermott Park. Now, you, you sort of mentioned the, the bogey team thing. Aberdeen have been our bogey team since we've come back up. Um, I think every time we've played, at, in particular, I've not been to any of the games at Pataudry since we've been back up, but every time we've played at the Tony Mac, which is a, fuck, I still hate saying that seven years later, but every time we've played at Ammonville, <laughs> it's been Livy just in control of the whole game and then Aberdeen get a lucky goal there was one game in particular I think Aberdeen beat us 2-0 I think Andrew Considine scored like really early Livy just were it was probably one of the best performances from Livingston that I'd seen for a long time and then right at the end Aberdeen get a penalty like we give away a stupid foul and Aberdeen get a penalty it's 2-0 and you're but like the whole time I was just sitting there going like how have they done this how do they keep doing this to us? <laughs> like, so I think it'll be it'll be a similar approach to the second half of the Hibs game. You know, we're gonna be harrying you, we're gonna be, you know, in your face. Stefan Omionga, by the way. Oh my god, like just mind how on Sky Sports years ago you used to have like player cam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going in I would love that for Stefan Omionga. The the guy is just a step above. Now that I've said that, he'll have have an absolute stinker but if he's if he's on or or someone will sign him tomorrow (laughs) please don't (laughs) please don't say that um no i think like if we can have him on top form jason holt on top form and bruce anderson who as you said man like he he plays with a lot of aggression against aberdeen so i think he's got a lot to prove i'm not saying like it it was you know from every aberdeen fan but i think he, he got quite a lot of stick um at the home game that mm-hmm. Max Strayek decided I think he had Aberdeen on his coupon that day you know and when he got his goal he was he was absolutely I've never seen him celebrate like that since so you know if he if he can sort of keep the head and you know get a couple of goals and hopefully but yeah it'll be very much old style Livy of 
couple of seasons ago. It'll be in your face. It'll be not direct. Like we've not been a direct team this season. We played everything through the midfield, and it's all just about winning those second balls. And yeah, I think we'll just be all over Aberdeen like a rash. But as I said, man, like you just seem to find a way to beat us every time. I think it's one draw and six defeats since we've been back up against Aberdeen at home. Do you think Martindale will start Anderson? The only reason I'm asking that is because, and obviously again, this is this is before Tuesday night, so we don't know what happens Tuesday night, but the reason I'm saying that is because first game, well, the, the first meeting between the sides of the season, Anderson scored, but again, I felt like he got really, I feel like he got taken out of the game by his, like, aggression. Like, I felt like he was spending too yeah. much time trying to prove a point and not trying to play the game. And it happened as well at Pataudry. He got hooked, I think, at halftime, I think, actually, at Pataudry. Because it was like he was trying too hard, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I yeah. wonder if with Nubel being in, it gives... Does he maybe decide to mix it up this time and goes with something a bit different? Yeah, I think... I think Possibly. I mean, as I said, like, Nubel came in on Saturday, his first start, and Jesus, man, like, just... Like a duck to water. Like, just took that really well, you know, to come in on a in a massive game, it's not a derby, but it's, you know, they're one of the closest teams to us. Yeah. We, you know, it's a big, big stadium with, you know, fans that can get quite feisty and stuff at Hibs and me just, he took to it really well. So I think he might go for Nubly against Aberdeen because you always bring like a big crowd again, like he, he sort of make it quite intimidating and stuff. So he might go for Nubly, but I think Anderson will feature because, Martin they will want that sort of aggression from him. But yeah, as long as he keeps the head, I think he would be, you know, effective. And hopefully this time it, it, he channels that aggression in a more constructive way. Obviously, he's already scored against you. But it, yeah, I think he, as long as he sort of just keeps the head and does what he's been doing, and that's the thing, he, he has to play the, the game rather than the occasion, which, yeah, I, I heard the, the Pataudry game this season is sort of is a bit of a... Livy folklore this year that it's, it's, it was touted as possibly the worst performance of the season from Livy and we are, we are still capable of that <laughs> of being amazing one week and then turning up the next and just being absolutely dreadful but I genuinely think that's going to come on Tuesday rather than Saturday I think we'll be up for it on Saturday because we've got a real because of the whole bogey team aspect of it I think we'll, we'll really want to get that win over Aberdeen at home in particular, because I think yous are the only team that we've not beaten at home since we've been back up. So yeah, I think I think that'll be I think I think the slip up will come on Tuesday and then we might sort of be back up for it on Saturday. This has been a transfer window of pretty much uh, relative inactivity from Aberdeen's perspective. We brought one guy in from Holland, uh, a winger, young winger, and a guy from the States who's you know college football. That was at the beginning of the window. It's just gone out the last couple of days that he's had a double hernia up, so he's out for fair, fair chunk of the fair chunk of time, to say the least. No, it's uh, a, couple, a couple, a couple of weeks, I reckon. A couple of weeks, a couple of weeks. Okay, yeah, okay. So bad. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll see about that. Um, <laughs> how's the transfer window been for from a Livingston perspective? Not bad, to be honest. We we've lost the to go a bit Caledonia. We've lost the players that I think we needed losing. Uh, <laughs> man, nice. I, that, that's why I'm the host of my podcast. Like, yeah, like, I write all the content. That's why I'm the social media guy. Um, nah, I think, like, you know, they weren't dead wood, like, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Maybe 
Keegan Jacobs, he's left to go on loan to Falkirk. You know, he's a club legend, record um, record appearance holder, but he's just he's not doing it anymore. Like, it, you know, it, it sounds horrible, but I mean, he's, he's 32, 33 now. He's, he, he's been out injured for almost two seasons. It's just not... Yeah, so... That being said, no one deserves to be going to Falkirk right now. Oh, mate. Oh, it's like, oh man, I fucking hate them, mate. <laughs> I, I fucking hate them. It's so annoying. Like, so the, the guy that we sponsored, um, Jay's Cabia, uh, he, he's, he will be a really good player. Um, he came in last season from Shelburne in Ireland. and he, he, I think Martindale was originally going to send him out on loan, but he came on against Celtic. He got Scott Brown sent off, actually, set up a goal, and... Yeah, he just he, he looked like a real talent, just a bit raw. And then I thought, we're like, right, let's sponsor him this season because if he has a great season, then he'll be away for a million pounds and we'll be the boys that sponsored him. Sort of. <laughs> but he got injured within like five minutes of his <laughs> first game against Rangers. So he's away to Falkirk, which is really annoying because he's going to improve them and I, I want them to stay down as long as they can. Um, oh, they'll stay down. They're not catching Cove Rangers. No danger. They're like 20... 20- five points off the top or something honestly like it's it's all just because i don't even mind Falkirk as a team it's just their fans are like like they, they just always seem to tweet every so often like like if Livy put up their official attendance you'll just see a Falkirk fan being like we get more in league one they're like and what you've been around for like 120 years fuck me we're a fucking <laughs> franchise team for Edinburgh. <laughs> 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 it's big everyone supports rangers and Celtic around here um, but no, in, in terms of players in Nubley's like a new signing we did sign him in the summer but him coming back he looks pretty tasty the guy from Aston Villa Chuck come on go for it come on Chuck Wuemba I, I, I would have had as Chuck Woo, Chuck Wooey Maker is how I was going to do it Caleb we'll just call him Caleb Caleb I, he man like he, he's, he came on against Dundee looks really good and then he started against County and Martindale was just <laughs> fucking hell, man. It's like, it's, it, he was essentially micromanaging him. Like, just being like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like, so he got hooked at half time because he was going to be playing on the opposite side for Martindale and he wouldn't be able to shout him. Um, so <laughs> he, he looks, again, the, the sort of, the polite way of saying that he doesn't look that good is saying that he's raw. I think he will come good. Um, whether that's at Livingston, I don't know. I don't know if you'll have the time to settle in. There's only you know a few months left of the season now. Um, who else have we got? Some seen the Welsh under twenty one captain centre half. He came on for four minutes against Hibs. I think he touched the ball once. So not seen much of him. But the most exciting one is this Sebastian Soto guy. Um, <clears throat> just need to wait and see. But he's like, all I'm going to say about this guy is that um, the three of us on this podcast, we all have a soft spot for Norwich City. Right, okay. I had no idea this guy existed. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's a good start. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know what that says. I hate, to, I hate to burst any bubbles, but. Well, that's the thing. So like, uh, straight away I looked on his Wikipedia and he doesn't have many appearances, but scored two and two goals for USA. And I was like, oh, that'll be good. But then you find out that it's like... Both against Panama. 
I am so fucking hell. <laughs> why could it have been someone against decent man? Um, but nah, we'll, we'll see what he's like. He, he might, you know, but again, like you'll struggle to get in the team at the minute. That's the thing. Like it's, it's such a solid. It's becoming again. I keep saying it's like Levy of old, but you know, a couple of seasons ago, you could name well, you just couldn't, but we could name our first eleven. Yeah, it'd be every week. That would be the first eleven. And then the past couple of years, it's been like, okay, he's starting this game because they play a certain way. He won't play against them because they don't play this way. And it's like, whereas this season, that Martindale's finally just playing his best 11 and it's starting to become a wee bit more consistent because the players are just like, it doesn't matter who we're playing, you know, we'll, we'll still do it sort of thing. So, yeah, I think he, he might struggle to get in the team, to be honest. But, yeah, and we've got a goalkeeper as well. Thank fuck. Um, oh, uh, Ivan Konovalov. Yeah, Konovalov. Oh Sounds like a Bond villain or a yeah. fucking <laughs> man, a rocky so, opponent. So we 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 signed this guy last year called um, something Diani, and we signed them at like the the January deadline day because of paperwork work permits. He never actually played a game for us until I think April. Like, and it was like we were just like every week there would just be this bit on the website saying uh, Dribble Diani is still unavailable for selection. Was, oh, what the fuck? What is he doing? Like, what is the point of him being here? Um, so, doing this this goalkeeper, we signed him, and it was just like subject to international clearance and work permit. And I was like, this guy's just going to be Diani again. Like, we're not going to see him. Like, he's just going to be this fictional character that Livy have made up. Because again, as I was saying about Bruce Anderson, like the our keeper man, he's he's never consistent. He's either amazing or he is utter horseshit. There is no in between. And our reserve goalkeeper, um, or the original reserve, we signed out. We actually sent another guy from Norwich, but uh, he unfortunately got diagnosed with testicular cancer, so he's out for the foreseeable. And you know, like we've messaged them to sort of wish him well and you know we were a bit gutted we only ever seen him once so we we were quite excited to have another goalkeeper Um, and then that happened so the current sub goalie is this 38 year old guy who signed for us I think when we were in league one when he was 35 and we were his first professional club (laughs) and we, we we turned up to the first game of the league one season He's always been the number two or number three. And uh, I mean, turning up to the, the first game of the season when we were in League One, and my dad turned to me and he was like, I recognise that goalie. Who did, he, who did he play for? I was like, nah, he played for Broxburn or something. Like, he's not, uh, he's, not a, he's not a pro. And then about four days passed and then my dad came up <laughs> to me and he was just like, oh, I, re- I found out where I know that goalie. I was like, all right, okay. And he was like, ah, he's, a, he's a joiner at my work. <laughs> I was like, what? He's like, aye. And I was like, fucking hell. And then like, you started reading and I was like, this guy's never played professional. Why, why is he here? <laughs> um, so yeah, he's he's the, I mean, he's played a couple of games and he's actually done okay. But like, it's always a, a really shaky moment when, Skyjack gets injured and you're just like fuck we're gonna have to bring on Gary Malley like, <laughs> like, even the name the even name, the name man. yeah Gary Malley and you're just like oh no like he's such a nice guy as well like he's went from being a, a joiner he's still like a still he's he's only part-time at Livy 
Uh, but like he's on, you know, he's went from that to being on FIFA <laughs> like <laughs> four years. Uh, it's like we always, play, I always say, like, I always just play him on FIFA just to. <laughs> so he gets his moment. That's it. He gets his moment. I like um, it. So, yeah, but uh, yeah, sorry, I, I sort of really digress there, but. The transfer window's been good. Um, there's there's a risk that we might be losing Jack Fitzwater, centre half, who he's been touted for Newcastle, but I don't I don't think that's true. To sort of cut a long story short, he was shit last season, but amazing this year. If we lost him, it would be like a huge loss, and because it's getting closer to the end of the window, we're like, you know, if we're gonna sell him, just do it. Yeah. Um, but because it's it's apparently English Premiership clubs that are in for him, so we're hoping that we could get money and possibly keep him for the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that was the only sort of hairy moment. And then Alan Forrest was supposed to. <laughs> he was meant to go to St Johnston, wasn't he? And then he was like, man, again, like, two to that one. What a shagger, by the way. I love him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, so apparently, apparently, he turned around and he was just like, I don't want to be here. And then St Johnston were like, okay, you can come to us. And then he went, no. <laughs> <laughs> but he scored at the weekend. So I'm, I'm happy. Honestly, I, I hope he stays because he's a good player. Um, again, just a bit, his decision making is a bit shit. But when he's on it, again, he's, he's on it. So the only, yeah, those two, Forrest and Fitzwater, are the only sort of shaky ones now that it's getting to the end of the window. But hopefully we'll manage to keep hold of them as well. We'll steer away from predictions right now. Let's just have a little trip down memory lane. Let's go look at some classic Aberdeen Livingston games. And I suspect that they might be more classic on your side of the fence lane than they are on ours. <laughs> Come on, give us your 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 top one or your top two Aberdeen Living fixtures in, in, in the past. I'm actually gonna shock you. Right. I, I I did I did put a tweet out about the um the sixth one in the League Cup, right? I, I will openly admit though that I, I wasn't actually interested in football at that time. So it's always just been a bit of a folklore thing. So, But the, the only thing I know about that game is that we had a guy called uh, Massimo Caputo and he only the only goals he scored were against Aberdeen in that game. <laughs> and he was fucking dreadful for like the rest of the season. Um, but that was when we had like, Jesus, we must have had about 40 players on our squad list at one point that year. We were just obviously interviewing players of that sort of era. I don't think at the time you sort of appreciated how much we gretnered it of just literally, we just threw money at it. There was, there was a game against Wraith Rovers that Marvin Andrews, Alex Burns, and Steve Tosh scored against us and we signed them the next day <laughs> just because we could. Um, I'm sorry, so going back to Aberdeen games, I remember the first time I went to Pataudry, it was my 12th birthday, and Livy beat Aberdeen 3-0, and we we had uh, this Brazilian manager. I remember, <laughs> I remember this. Was this the one that ended our record? We were going for 10 home wins in a row, I think. I think Rangers had ended it the week before, but... No, I think Livy ended it. I'm sure Livy ended the run. It was during, I, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful, it was during the Steve Patterson era for Aberdeen. Okay, I can't well. imagine you winning 10 games in a row. Uh, fair play. Yeah, fair play. Uh, no, um, we didn't. <laughs> no, so I, I remember Francisco Kino. oh my word, he scored an absolute raker, a volley from about 20 yards. 
Oscar Rubio scored a wee link. I, I, I remember it so well, actually. Uh, Michael Hart set up Fernando Pasquinelli, but Michael Hart was playing for Aberdeen at the time. <laughs> 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 and Pasquinelli was playing for Olivia. Oh, I found it. I found it. 27th of September. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It was a Patterson game. Kino, uh, uh, Kino Rubio and I, Pasquinelli. Yeah, there we go. I just, I, I, it was, I think it was the year that we won the cup. So I was just like, yeah, I think that was that was probably I was twelve. So I was, I was really into Levy at that point of like, this is the most important thing uh, in my life. <laughs> I was getting a win at Aberdeen. So yeah, I remember that one. But other than that, man, like I think it was a couple. I think we might have we we ended up playing Aberdeen about seven or eight times that season. Somehow, I think we won. All of the games, or maybe the only games you wouldn't have won would have been the cup games that forced the replays. Yeah. I think. Yeah, we played against you in the League Cup quarters that season, and then yeah, the quarter final of Scottish Cup, a one-one draw at Pataudry, and then um, this was one I this is one I I think tweeted you about, um, or was it a one-one draw at Amonville possibly? No, it was Amonville's the replay. Yeah, yeah, because it was on telly. Because I, I watched it on TV, and yeah, uh, Burton O'Brien scored from like the halfway line. Uh, this is the one I was talking about where the I remember I think when he scored and then the, the camera zoomed in on Steve Patterson on the Aberdeen bench and it's because it was pissing with rain and it was like a really miserable kind of February, March kind of day. Yeah. And instead of him being up there like cajoling the team and getting them up or whatever, he was just like shuffling it, open his jacket and try to light a fag inside his jacket and it wouldn't happen. And the camera kept on him. And it was fucking excruciating <laughs> watching it. And you're like, would somebody either take the camera off of him, please, or someone give him a, or someone give him a fucking light? One of the two. This is terrible. This is like this is going to be national TV. Do you know it's it's really weird that like when I I got into football when I was like not like terribly late, but I think my first season going to Levy was the year that we were in Europe and uh, Eugene Daddy played for us. And oh. uh, we had that horrible white and orange kit. So at that point, I had no knowledge of anything. And that's what I thought Aberdeen were. Like, I thought that they were like just this stupid wee team that just <laughs> lost all the time, that Livy just beat all the time. And we were, or they were up until very, or like a, a year after. But um, yeah, it was so weird. Like, I remember like my dad being like, yeah, they've, they've won like a European trophy, they beat. Real Madrid and that, and they, they won the league, and I was like, "Fuck off!" <laughs> um, this lot, I know. Um, yeah, other than that, though, man, like going to a Livy Aberdeen game is just sheer misery for me. Yeah, the, the last time I've seen us beat Aberdeen in the flesh was that game, twenty seventh of twenty uh, seventh of September, two thousand three. Man, it's just been we we've just. Yeah, uh, there's just been a few absolute misery at watching Livingston v Aberdeen. Um, oh, don't worry, I've had a lot of misery watching Aberdeen play Livingston as well. <laughs> Man, we should have swapped. I know, like, <laughs> the one that always sticks out for me is is the 6-1 game at Pataudry. Two reasons for this. One, somebody for Livingston scored an absolute raker, and I always get mixed up. I'm always convinced it was, like, Alan Preston or... Somebody like that, but it wasn't Gav. You always have to correct me on this because it wasn't Alan Preston in that game. Yeah, it, it I, was. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I recall Wilson, Tosh, and Bingham all scored that night. But or I always, or, or I always think it was like 
Bolin, Gary, or I thought it was Gary Bolin, but it wasn't. I think it was Steve Lovell. No, it wasn't with Steve Lovell. Stuart Lovell, Stuart Lovell. I think it was Stuart Lovell who scored it. And I think that made it 5-1 after about 50 minutes, I think, right? Well, I, I always just remember, like, the fifth goal got rattled in. I was like, fucking hell. And there was a guy about two rows in front of us in the south stands. I'll always remember this. He just, he'd sat back down with his pie. <laughs> the, fifth, the fifth goal had gone in. And he stood up and he gave it a volley full of, of, of abuse towards the pitch, which is fair enough. Then he took one bite out of his pie. And then he just like stood and squeezed all this fat out of it. And he was doing this for ages, like wringing his pie out almost. It was disgusting. And then just looked fucking miserable about life. Sat down and ate, sit down and just as he was about to tuck into another bite of it, having now, you know, taken all of the moisture out of it, I think Davy Bingham went and scored the six <laughs> and he just flung his pie and got him fucked <laughs> off. <laughs> I mean, just uh, a miserable, miserable day. Um, it's been a long time since Livy have done anything like that to people. <laughs> my main takeaway from that night was that it was 4-0 Livingston. They played us off the pitch. We'd hardly had to touch the ball. <laughs> yeah. We get Then we get a goal from Darren Mack and there's this genuine feeling amongst some of the supporters like, yes, we're back in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert, we were not back in it. No. Uh, let's go back then to next Saturday. Let's just quickly do some predictions and then we can we can wrap things up, Liam. So we'll, we'll go with you first. Oh, sorry, Gavi. Before that, I think we were we want to like really get um the t- an outsider's take on oh, Aberdeen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I don't expect you to really care about what we've been doing this season because why would you? <laughs> but as a Livingston fan, like obviously people have heard about the change in management and structure that Aberdeen have gone through this year. What's your uh, what's your take on Aberdeen this season? Well, on it, I will say like I, I genuinely, as much as I support Livingston, I'm just a massive Scottish football aficionado. Um, and one of my my good friends, Simon Watt, he's a massive Aberdeen fan, so sort of forced to to look at the results to see how his mood is before I message him. Man, I don't know. It's weird, like like the sort of past few years for Aberdeen, uh, I can understand why they got sort of frustrated with McKenna in terms of style of play and they wanted that change because you know for for as much as you know they were finishing second when even when Rangers were back in the league um which was phenomenal but you know they just seem to be a team of just so many missed opportunities in terms of really challenging Celtic when they were really poor you know through those years that Rangers weren't in the league and then I remember actually, fuck, I went to the semi-final, uh, the St. Johnston semi-final at Ibrox with my friend oh. Simon. Oh, yeah. And, like, like I went because I was, like, he had a spare ticket. I was, like, fuck, I'm, like, I'm a Levy fan. There's no chance I'm ever getting to a Scottish Cup semi-final again. So I'll go, I'll experience it. And, man, it was just one of those, you're just sort of stat, like, stood going, like, this is yours. This is yours for the taking. Why are you not taking this chance? Um, and in terms of like up to date Aberdeen, like when when McInnes was sacked, I was like fair enough, you know. And then when they announced Stephen Glass, I was just a bit like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> why? And then yeah, this season it's just been, I mean that that game at Amonville, it, like you heard about Aberdeen playing in Europe at the start of the season, and they were like really exciting. You said like Jet and stuff were just. You know, every, everything just seemed to be falling into place. And then they come to Livy and it's like, I don't know if it's, you know, everyone uses the pitch as an excuse, but Aberdeen have no issue 
on the pitch. I mean, you know, because we've not beaten you since yeah, yeah, yeah. Since you come back mm. up. So, but I, I was just sitting there watching them going like, this is fucking turgid. Like, what are they doing? Like, just there, there just seemed to be nothing really going. The second half's a bit better, and they were just put us a lot uh, under a lot more pressure. The second half, and deservedly, I think. Well, maybe not deservedly got the win, but you deservedly got a point because Livy weren't much better. But you know, it's, uh, you just can't. I just can't believe this the inconsistency of Aberdeen this year. Like you, you know, like Hearts aren't Hearts are okay at the minute, but you know, like Hearts fans fucking <laughs> like they they want Nielsen sacked and fucking signed up to a ten year deal every two minutes. Like they can't yeah, yeah. make up their mind. Like they're a completely batshit team. Hibs are one Hibs. of the biggest myths in Scottish football ever. And you're just like, how how are you not capitalising on this? Like, yeah. how are they not capitalising on this at all? Um, so yeah, I would, I would say this season, man, it's just uh, for me watching them. It's just when they're on top form, it's good to watch. But man, like, yeah, I, I personally, you know, like, Livy are never going to really compete with Aberdeen, not this season anyway. No, might do next season if we stay up. But yeah, I think if they're too good a team not to be challenging for cups and stuff like that like and yeah I think the, the performance in the, the league cup I watched the Wraith Rovers game you're just like come on like that that is one of the most winnable trophies because the old firm don't really care about it yeah. <laughs> like, you know like it, unless they get to the final they don't really give a shit yeah and that's you know it, it's sort of it's always been the case so the league cup is is the most it's, it's achievable for for yeah. teams like Aberdeen Hearts Hibs Dundee United sometimes when, when they're okay but yeah for me as an outsider man it's it's just you're just waiting for Aberdeen to do something and then they seem like they turn a corner and then it just completely flips again and you're like how because the squad you've got like surely you can get a tune out of these players listen let's 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 just go on we'll do predictions quickly for next Saturday um this is always awkward we now find when we get opposition fans in it's much it's, it's much easier to be bullish about your own team yeah. what are you going to go for Liam and we're going to put you on the spot, obviously. As much as much as you know, we've been on a good run. The whole bogey team thing, as I said, I think our slip up will come against St Johnston on Tuesday. So if that happens, two one Levy. But if we beat St Johnston on Tuesday, then I would say one one, just to remain a wee bit positive. And I think Bruce Anderson will score. Gav. Given what Liam said, that Livingston's home form has not been as good as they've been away from home. Our away form has been horrific. I'm going to say it will be the score. It probably should have been earlier in the season. 1-1. I'm not sure I see anything other than a draw. Um, yeah. I would have said 0-0, but we don't keep clean sheets. So that ain't happening. So I'm going to go 2-2. <laughs> and Ooh. the big man's going to get both of them for Aberdeen. See, I was going to say that um, Jet will score an own goal. <laughs> Man, if Jet scores against us, like I'll one hundred percent walk out as soon as it happens in the first half. I'll be like, nah, I'm not having this at all, man. Not him. Um, yeah, nah, it draws fine with me. Two two Jet at the double because he will be our number nine after Christian Ramirez suffers an in- a season-ending injury on Tuesday night. <laughs> and as of Monday night, we won't have signed anyone else to play up front. So there we go. That's my prediction. Liam from the Amavi Podcast. It's been a pleasure having you on, mate. No, thank you so much, honestly. Take care. Cheers, man. So that wraps up 
part one of this week's show. Join us after the break, where we bring you our in-depth conversation with 2014 League Cup winner and product of the Dons youth system, Nikki Lowe. To play us out this half, it's Full Fat with their new single, Love Was Easy, which is out on Friday the 4th of February. You can pick it up at fullfatband.bandcamp.com. It's Full Fat with Love Was Easy.
mama don't like, my daddy don't like, when they told me there was something I could do without. Maybe I'm stupid and stubborn crazy, but I've always had my doubts. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Tony Stott Professional Framing Solutions. Got a shirt that needs framing? Then Tony Stott Professional Framing Solutions in Aberdeen can make it that bit more special. Why not add photos, medals, badge numbers or any accessory you want for an exceptional look? Tony Stott will endeavour to cater for your exact needs with professionalism and a very high standard of craftsmanship. Don season ticket holders benefit from discount on framing and memorabilia. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast and we're delighted to bring you the latest in our line of interviews with Don's personalities of past and present. And this week, it's a man who climbed through the youth setup to go on and make 39 appearances for the first team, scoring twice and he was one of the guys who tucked away a penalty in the shootout against Inverness Cali in the 2014 League Cup final. Now we recorded this interview with Nicky some time ago. We were always struggling to find an appropriate time to slot it into our schedule but we thought this seemed like the most appropriate time to do it as his side have a top of the table clash on Friday night live on BBC Scotland in the championship against Kilmarnock it's the one and only our broths Nicky Lowe Nicky Lowe welcome to the ABZ football podcast how you doing hiya guys yeah I'm not bad great stuff listen Nicky we're delighted to have you on the show it's great to have someone on the show who's kind of from a more current generation of players to have pulled on the red shirt and not only that someone who picked up a winner's medal in their time at the dons as well so we're dead chuffed you agreed to come on and let's just get started so obviously you were born in 1992 nikki and jesus christ that makes me feel fucking super old and it was in greenock that you grew up yeah yeah sadly uh nah <laughs> a crazy place to say the least but i wouldn't change it uh i think it's been known for being a bit of a shithole to be honest but it's still shithole so nah i wouldn't change it uh, so, growing up, was football always your main sporting love? Yeah, since uh, I was even walking with my dad and stuff, and that always gave me a ball, so it was always something I had my heart set on to be a footballer. As all the school teachers would tell you, they all hated me because in school I would say no work and just say, I'm going to be a footballer. And I said, what happens if you, you don't make it? I said, I'm going to make it, you don't need to worry about that. So it was a bit of a pain in the neck for the teachers, but I did all right out of the game. Yeah, no, it's always good to have a bit of belief in your own ability. Uh, so growing up, if you don't mind telling us maybe who you supported and who your first footballing heroes were. Yeah, obviously when I was younger, I lived five minutes from Capo. Uh, so Greenock Morton was always kind of my team and still is. But obviously as I got a bit older, my uncles took me to some Celtic games. 
Uh, so obviously Celtic for there. So it's always been Celtic and Morton's my kind of two teams. Yeah, it's always kind of the way I grew up. But obviously when you get older, you don't go as much games. And obviously when I signed with Aberdeen and been there so long, I feel some like an Aberdeen fan now. But I've also got my best mate Kenny Marshall's always singing songs like. I was away on Saturday night, uh, me, the wife and the kid, and he's sending me a Snapchat, steaming, singing, Stein, three, so things like that, you know what I mean, it's brilliant. That's fair enough. Um, am I also right in thinking that you initially started out as a striker in your younger days? Yeah, well, uh, I started at East End Boys Club, that's a local team down here. I scored lots of goals. Uh, that's because the goalies were really small, so you just had it high and you scored. But no, I used to score a lot of goals back in the day, even when I went to Aberdeen until roughly about under 17s, then I got moved out wide. The determination was always there to make it as a footballer. But when did you get first get like an inkling or an idea that you might have have it in you to make a career as a professional footballer? <sighs> Obviously, I got picked up at a really young age after Aberdeen. I think I was roughly eight or nine. So then on, you think, oh, I'm obviously decent enough to be a big club. But you don't really know you're going to make it until I went full time. That was when I first started, because obviously a lot of boys are, as under-17s, you either get released or you make it to go full-time. And uh, when I got a full-time contract, I realised I've got a bit of a chance of making it here, you know. So you said there was eight or nine that Aberdeen picked you up um, to join their youth setup. Was there any other clubs interested you in you and what it was that brought you to Aberdeen? I was actually at Celtic. Uh, I started Aberdeen first uh, and I was doing well. And I still at that time, I could still play local East End. So I was playing with them and Aberdeen. And, uh, but I wasn't actually signed with Aberdeen uh, at that time. I was just up there for a while and uh, have a look at the place. And Celtic came in as well. But obviously, I went to Celtic training because it was different nights. Uh, but I really enjoyed uh, Aberdeen more because John Ward did a lot for me. Because obviously, my granddad took me on my football, but sometimes he couldn't make it with walking stuff. So he collected me and took me. So I really appreciated that. And I felt that I owed him something. So I signed with Aberdeen. And uh, thankfully, it turned out well for me. So you've mentioned your uh, feelings about Greenock and uh, what it means to you, shall we say. How did you find moving up to Aberdeen when you actually, you know, signed the contract and moved up here uh, to be part of the setup, you know, on a permanent basis? I really struggled, to be fair. Uh, Aberdeen's amazing city. I loved, like, being there. It was lovely. Uh, but I was homesick, obviously. I was a young boy uh, who always hung about the streets with his mates. That's all I knew. So leaving all my mates and stuff and my family was really hard. I struggled big time. I used to phone my mum and stuff uh, at night saying I want to come home. And I nearly packed it in a few times. Uh, but thankfully, people uh, advised me to see it out and it will get better. And it did that. And uh, thankfully I did. So I guess, Nicky, can you kind of just talk us through, I guess, your experience of, of coming through the Dons youth setup at that time? What was that like to be coming through? It was brilliant because I think when I was young, they had a good European run and stuff a few times, I think it was. So obviously, when you see it, because obviously I wasn't full-time at the time, and I remember watching the games and stuff uh, in front of a packed crowd at the Todd and think to myself, that could be me one day. Uh, so that gave you a wee bug to go and do well, then hopefully you'll enjoy big occasions at a club. But there was a lot of good players, so you obviously knew you had to work hard to try and make it. Because if you look through all professional clubs, for kids coming through academy, it's not a high rate. Ha- hardly ever play- many players make it, you know. I think it's, some, I don't know if it's like one in like 200 or 2,000. I know it's like very low chance. So, no, uh, I feel lucky enough to come through at a big club. 
and was that, I guess, one of the reasons as well you maybe decided to to come to Aberdeen ahead of Celtic? Was did you feel there was maybe a I don't want to say an easier pathway because you're right, it's still really difficult. But did you maybe have a feeling there that if you you know put in the hard work, show what you can do, if you show you're good enough, you'll maybe get a shot at first team? Yeah, uh, you're spot on. I spoke to my granda, who's also my biggest influence on football and stuff and life. Uh, he said to me, it was him that said, listen, because to be fair, at the time, obviously, I was still going to Celtic games as a fan because I wasn't full-time. Monk was taking me. So when I, I'm thinking of Celtic, I wouldn't be a Celtic player. Because I'm so young, I don't realise like I'm not got much of a chance of making it. Then when he said that, so I just kind of, obviously, what he said to me, I agreed. So stuck with Aberdeen. Then you look now, the amount of good players who I played with at my group against Celtic Rangers and I think maybe Cal McGregor. Uh, that's maybe the only one I can think of that's made it. Uh, so it just shows you I made the right decision because obviously Celtic uh, Rangers your old firm whatever they've got lots of money so they're just going to buy better players in your position so thankfully I stuck with Aberdeen and I was lucky enough to play a few games for the club Just going back to what you said a minute ago about your kind of you were homesick in Aberdeen do you think in a way leaving Greenwich was a sort of kind of a blessing because it gave you just football to focus on and when I say that I think of players of like likes of Derek Reardon or Gary O'Connor who had like stayed in Edinburgh and maybe influenced or you know they had like other live parts of their lives that became almost bigger than football whereas you and I can think of like Stephen Fletcher left where he like left Glasgow for Hibs it just gives you like the sole focus of football and making as a as a professional yeah spot on I think my mum's told everybody and myself I would have probably end up in jail hey <laughs> I never moved to Aberdeen at a young age and all my mates dead and stuff. Oh, some of them's dead now, sadly. And uh, there's only a few who's maybe doing well for themselves, you know. So, listen, it did save me at times. I was drinking from a young age, which I should have never been doing if I wanted to be a professional footballer. But I grew up in that environment. I thought that was the, that was like everybody did it, you know. So I never got out. I got in trouble a few times with the police when I was younger. Uh, so it was being, I think I was just 15 and a half maybe nearly turn 16 when I left so it was just a perfect timing for me or God knows where I could be right now but as you said obviously some guys who stay in their hometown it goes a wee bit able for them you know It's interesting as well that dynamic because we spoke to Ian Jess a couple of weeks ago and you know Ian's from Port Soy it's a really small sleepy fishing village in the northeast of Scotland but he was on S forms at Rangers at the time and you know he talked about how actually being on S forms at Rangers having to travel down to the central belt playing that atmosphere in that arena really helped him as a player because it hardened him. You know, it's that dynamic, isn't it, between where you come from, but it's maybe not necessarily the most conducive way to becoming a top top player. Yeah, exactly. Because obviously, some, as you said, he's going down there and it's obviously tougher. Obviously, you're going down there, you know, like the fan base is obviously a lot bigger. So there's a bigger expectation stuff. You can get slaughtered a lot down there. You see papers down here are crazy. If none of the old firm won and stuff. So yes, it's hang me, but obviously I had a hard upbringing and stuff. So, I was in whatever got through at me, I kind of dealt with it, you know, obviously. I wasn't used to, uh, I remember Neil Cooper had a bad game once and he sl- I was only on the door and he absolutely slaughtered me. And I was like, oh, I've never had that before. But I was obviously, I've been slaughtered before, like on streets and stuff and things. So I was used to kind of getting a bit of abuse. But uh, it toughened me up as well, getting that and just getting used to it. And I, Neil Cooper was brought with me, you know, it was very tough. But I liked that because if you started slacking and stuff, it'd be first to tell you, get your ass in gear up you not be here, which I like. And it was Neil Cooper that, that made the decision, I guess, to move you from, from being a striker in the midfield area. And so how did you find that to begin with to adapt to it? And were you happy to make that switch? 
Yeah, I think obviously it's that. Uh, not playing it before. Midlife Park, you've got a positioning sense was the biggest thing for me because on the ball, I had no problem. I always looked after the ball well and I worked hard. So that was all right. But obviously, knowing where to be for picking second balls up or when I'm wanting to see the get on the ball a lot, angles. So it's easy for the defender or the midfielders to pass to me. So it took a few months to do that. But once I did that, there's no looking back. And I was on a bit of first team uh, after a few months of playing centre mid. And in addition to that, you graduate through the youth ranks and you then step up to become captain of both the 19s and the 20s. Um, was that a role you were happy in? And what do you think made the manager think that you had the right kind of character to be the uh, the captain of the team? Yeah, it was obviously an honour. I've been captain of a youth team at Aberdeen, obviously, been a big club and stuff. So I was happy to accept it. I think just my performances, uh, I was I always felt I was playing well week in, week out. And plus, I always, I'm a good communicator, I like to think, and I try and tell people, help people in the part and shout a lot. So I think that was which made him choose me, you know. Going to wind the clock back quite a number of years here to the 27th of January 2010, which I'm reliably informed was just three weeks after your 18th birthday. Uh, you find yourself on the bench as Mark McGee's, as it was then, Aberdeen team head out in Tynecastle midweek. I don't know if you remember the scoreline, but Aberdeen cruised to a 3-0 victory and probably one of the better performances, if not the best performance uh, under Mark McGee with yourself coming off the bench for the final five minutes to replace uh, a very young Fraser Fivey who'd opened the scoring. Had you had any indication from the manager that you actually might get a run out and can you remember much about the game itself? Uh, well, I don't really because leading up to it, we were as a youth team, uh, we got took away to Spain for two weeks. Uh, a lot of the youth clubs, I think it was the SFA paid for it something like that anyway but they took us away and we played Sevilla your teams like Malaga and stuff over there I think we played three or four games and I did really well uh, and the manager said to me after as we were coming back he said you were a standout in all the games and I'm going to speak to Agatha and I'll tell him I think you should be in a better first team so we came back from there and I, I think I trained that week uh, with the first team then I was in the squad travelling down uh, but he never said to me about involved in stuff and we named Goy Hotel and he said I was on a bench then obviously when I was on the bench and we were winning a few, I was thinking, oh, I've got a chance of going on here. Then he just said, Nicky, go and get warmed up. You're going on with five minutes ago and what a feeling. But I can't remember much of the game, but I always remember because Des Young was playing and he always says to me every time I see him, I ran on, when I ran on, he was sitting in the park and I said to him, Des, much as a win bonus because we're up, you know, we're a couple of minutes to go. So, you know, what a feeling. I remember it's one of the best feelings I've probably had in football. Uh, coming after the game everybody texting me and stuff buzzing for me so no I was delighted if I remember that game rightly Derek Young scored a beauty of a free kick as well I'm not that good at memory but uh, aye it was a good victory for us and as you said it was one of the better games under McGee uh, obviously going to time castle is never easy and it's one of the best places to go and play because obviously the atmosphere is good but what a result for us and obviously five years scored at such a young age I think saying it was a beauty of a free kick, Gav, is, is playing very fast and loose with that one. I, I remember the three of us were at that game. Um, it's a drifted ball in the back post, isn't it? And everyone just misses it. It's, it there's, a, there's a decoy at the back post. It's, it's perfect. <laughs> tell you meant that. I just remember it was quite, a, quite an intriguing back line we had that night. I think it was Grassi at left back, Mulgrew, I think, and Eiffel in the middle. I think Ricky Foster might have been playing right back. It was a proper, like, you know, patched together defence, but I do remember Fraser Fivey absolutely bullied um, Michael Stewart for 90 minutes that night. It was quite something to watch, actually. That's one thing, actually, at game I remember, because I told all my mates when Stewart was doing, uh, Michael Stewart was doing the country, 
was it going in the corner and I was do I go into waste time or something or going to help somebody and he said oh I'm going to absolutely smash you wee man next time you get a bar I was just like so you will <laughs> <laughs> can you um, can you Nicky just share your own thoughts on how things were under Mark McGee um, obviously he was a, a club legend as a player but I think it's fair to say his time as a manager was pretty disastrous yeah I never played many times under him I trained a lot but obviously to be honest I don't think the club was in a good place under him uh, the atmosphere about the place and I know a lot of people weren't enjoying like, even the day to day staff upstairs and stuff I know a lot of people just didn't feel like happy coming to work uh, so it wasn't, a, it wasn't a good time to be a youth player trying to come through and stuff because also the results weren't well so try to go with experience and stuff and it wasn't just there was a few uh, bad days around the club you know yeah absolutely um did that little taster of first-team football, though, just give you even more hunger and determination to get yourself into the team uh, on a more regular basis? Yeah, obviously, once you be a part of it and you make your debut, you're obviously buzzing, so you want to play every week. But obviously, I knew I still had a lot of learning to do and stuff and a bit to go before I could start playing. But obviously, I worked hard and stuff uh, for all the 19 under-20 games and tried to uh, impress a manager, but I didn't play much under him. So that's his decision, you know, but... It's one of these things. And so, yeah, obviously, unfortunately for you, there's no more first-team appearances that campaign. And then midway through the the, the following season, uh, Mark McGee sacked and, and Craig Brown comes in alongside Archie Knox. What were your initial recollections of, well, Jack and Victor, I guess, as they were at that point, of Scottish football coming in the door? Yeah, obviously, when they came in, I was buzzing because they it's got a manager and stuff I thought this is going to be brilliant for us as a club and we'll kick on and stuff and hopefully under a new manager I'll maybe get more appearances I think I played a few games under him I was always a bit frustrated under the management as I was training every day with him and I was doing really well and he kept saying to me you're going to get more chances be patient and uh, I felt like I just kept saying that to me and stuff you know but I had a good relationship with him still now when I see him and stuff it's a good relationship but I just was a bit frustrated, to be honest, because he said to me, you'll be in soon, and it just never really happened. Especially when the team's not doing well. I can understand if the team's doing well, and I'm training well. I need to be patient. Uh, but when the team's losing all the time, and you're saying to you how well you're doing, and you're thinking, well, give me a wee run of games. It's not, see the young boys stuff coming through. Sometimes you get one start. If you do well enough, you're back out of your team. You need to be absolutely brilliant. You know what I mean? As if you're a first-team regular, and you're just bang average, you keep playing all the time. You know what I mean? So it's really frustrating. I know a lot of uh, Andy Constantine used to say as well, as a young boy, because he was brought with us, be patient, you'll get your chance. It's happened to me, come through at the start. I should play more when you're not, because somebody will come in up from England or wherever abroad and they're on good wages. So they're going to play ahead of a young kid, you know? Uh, what was your relationship with Archie like? Because I've heard a lot of people saying that Archie had mellowed out a little bit by the time he got back to Aberdeen the second time round. Yeah, it was. It was sometimes also when we lost, they would go off his head and stuff. But I never really get burnt yet because I didn't really play much, so I was always all right. Uh, but no, I got on well with Archie. Still see him now and have a laugh and stuff. You know what I mean? Do you uh, you make your second substitute appearance this time at Potodri in a 2-0 defeat to St Johnston uh, at the tail end of that season. Did you go into the 2011-2012 campaign hoping that you would get uh, a chance to get a run in, in and around the team? Yeah, I thought I have a decent pre-season and stuff. Then I'll have a more chance of playing. Now, obviously, they'll see me more in training. Uh, and try and prove to him I deserve to be in a team and I don't know I think I made, maybe made a few more appearances but not many I was frustrated and I wanted to go out and loan and I was in it. I was in his office all the time asked to go on loan he wouldn't let me to start because he said are you going to be a big part of it but I just felt like 
I've had that said to me a few times now. I need to go and want to play because obviously I had a taste of it before. Ah, uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. I was going to say the the season starts off with you featuring a number of pre-season matches, uh, and then appearances kind of drop off. So the lone issue was you you forcing it by saying, "I want the experience and I want to play." Yeah, I was as unchappy's daughter as I said because, but a lot of games I played, I played left wing, and I'm not lightning quick, so. I always, I'm not going to go like John Hayes run by players and double boys. I'm always more of a passer and a crossing deep. So my best position is middle of the park and I never really got a chance here. And that's what I was frustrated at, you know. So I said to him, listen, I don't think I'm going to play it for you. Can I go alone? Because uh, I need that. That's it. By my age, I thought I needed first team games regular, which thankfully I went on to fourth and did that and did well. So you moved to Forfar on loan and this would be your first experience of one Dick Campbell. Do you please tell us a little bit about Dick and how did you find your time at Forfar? Yeah, obviously everybody knows how good Dick is. Uh, he's not only a brilliant gaffer, but he's a brilliant lad too. You know what I mean? Obviously everybody loves him. Uh, but obviously my first couple of experiences, obviously I never met him before I went to Forfar. So as a young boy, me and Joe, uh, went on loan and uh, we couldn't believe it. I had to start some of his stories and just the way he was. We were like, this guy's crazy. But I, that's just, that's him. And uh, obviously, we love working under me and Joe, and uh, I did well there. And obviously, you've kind of reunited with Dick at the moment at Arbroath, and we'll, we'll touch on your your spell Arbroath in a minute or two. But just just talk about Dick Campbell briefly. I mean, are you kind of surprised he's never been given up a, a punt at a higher level in Scottish football? I mean, his record in the lower leagues is is incredible. I think he's I think he's won the most promotions of anyone in the the bottom three leagues. All that kind of good stuff. Are you surprised he's never been given that shot? up a level yes absolutely but I think him and Pink his brother they've got good jobs and mm-hmm. stuff Pink witnesses and, and Gaffer's there helping with that and stuff so I don't know prob- I'd be surprised they must have had a few offers and they're pro- not back you know what I mean because you see all your jobs going now on Twitter and stuff social media's obviously mad for fans wanting managers out and I see it and Gaffer's name's always out there but thankfully uh, we've got him so obviously Nicky, like you kind of clearly impress during your opening spell at, at Forfar, your initial six month spell gets converted into a full season. You pick up Forfar Supporters Player of the Year and a Young Player of the Year award as well. You rack up 29 appearances, scoring six goals. Coming back to Aberdeen at that point, then, are you kind of really hoping that, you know, your experience, your form at Forfar is going to help you get closer to a breakthrough in the first team? Yeah, I think uh, I went, I think. I had 16, 17 assists and six goals in like 29 games and I felt I played a big part when I was at Forfa. So going back to the club, I thought, right, I've got to prove myself now for basically a full season. Uh, I feel so like I'm ready to go and play. Then it just never worked out. It was, I think, in a few subs appearances, if I'm remembering correctly, and I was really frustrated at this point. So I just kept going to ask to go on loan again and I kept getting knocked back before I was eventually, like, and I got fed up with me going to Chappie tomorrow time. Uh, End up letting me go on loan again. Yeah, so that yeah, you're absolutely right into the 2012-13 season. I think again, you featured uh, frequently in the pre-season games, but chances were few and far between uh, in the initial stages of the league. So again, that was you asking, uh, and you ended up at Aloha for a short period where you would have played under uh, ex Aberdeen player Paul Hartley, who was just starting out with his managerial career. So h- how did you find Paul to work with as a manager, given that he was a rookie, as it were? Yeah, I think Alora was absolutely fine. Obviously, it was really successful there, and it was a kind of same core of boys. It was going through the leagues with him, 
and I was going into a winning uh, squad and stuff. So I went in, and I think I ended up only playing ten games before my I was my loan was up and let me go back out on loan. And I think for I love and end up going on to get promoted that season. So I, I was frustrated I didn't get to play more games there because I went back and didn't play either. So, uh, but no, I enjoyed it. Obviously, the training stuff was good. And it was a great bunch of boys who were really successful as a team. Obviously, it says a lot about you as both a player and a person because, you know, that's two managers that were, uh, were desperate to link up with you later on in your career. So, you know, all the, all the power to you. On your return to Aberdeen at that point, it's all changed in the dugout once more. And Derek McInnes and Tony Doherty arrive to replace Craig Brown and Archie Knox for the final part of the campaign. And you make sub appearances against Dundee, Dundee United, and St. Mirren before getting your first start for the club in a 1 1 home draw with Hearts that rounds off the campaign. Can you tell us about your initial thoughts on Derek McInnes and Tony Doherty? And did you think that, did you get an impression now that you were definitely going to be part of the clans for the next campaign? Yeah, I think uh, when they came in, I was buzzing actually because I heard that Derek McInnes really liked me because he watched a few games when we played at Johnston. I think he was a manager at the time there. And I always seem to do well against Johnston. And I think I scored nearly every game I played in youth teams against them. So I'm sure it was Neil Simpson who came up to me and said, oh, you're laughing, me man. We man the gaffer really likes you. So I thought, oh, here we go. Somebody's going to finally play me. I got a few more opinions and starts. But obviously, at that time, we were a better team. We built a good squad and there was really good players in my position. So I was disappointed not to play more, to be honest. Yeah, you, you just touched on that at the end there. I just wondering what you were thinking when you see the management team bringing the likes of you know, Barry Robson and Willow Flood to probably on the on paper, we're going to naturally block your place into the team. Yeah, to be fair, is a, I wanted obviously us to do well, so it was kind of, I was buzzing it there coming in. But on the other hand, you think yourself, it's harder for me now to go and get a regular starting berth in this team. But obviously I played a few games and uh, there was times when I felt like centre mids weren't performing and I was doing really well in training and playing well for the youth team, which thought it made me a chance a bit more, but it never really worked out that way. Yeah, I mean, that first campaign under McInnes, you make 17 appearances in total, um, the majority of which came from the bench. Uh, and you also grabbed your first goal for Aberdeen, uh, a fine curling free kick against Ross County that bags uh, the Dons all three points. Do you remember much about the goal and uh, just how proud a moment was that for you to uh, get your first goal in the top flight? Yeah, I remember it clearly because it was my first goal in the top flight. And it's, as a youngster, I always said to like, my family, all I want to do is make an appearance in the ASPL uh, and score a goal and thankfully that day I did it and that was also I dreamt as a kid at least make one so I can say I've done it and luckily enough I've went on and made a few more but obviously free kick I would scored a few well plenty for the youth team and thankfully now you'll let me hit it and thankfully I hit it sweetly and I went in Did you say to Niall I'm having this one or was he a little bit was he gracious enough to just give you the chance No I said to him I'm, I'm hitting it and I thought he said no I'm hitting it but when he ran Expecting him, he ran over the ball. I was expecting him to hit it. The best ones are always unplanned, are they? That's it. That's like nights out. We don't last minute nights out are always the best. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, the 13 14 campaign is pretty much synonymous with the League Cup campaign. And this is kind of, I guess, where you kind of made your impact at Aberdeen most felt. You come off the bench in the second round tie at home against Alloa for Willow Flood in a match that will live long in the memory for being truly terrible. It's the game that made my wife say she'd never go to a game of football ever again. I don't blame her. It's, the game drifts all the way down to penalties and you're one of the guys who decides to step up and take one. Am I right in thinking you were the penalty taker for our 20s? Yeah. So were you always thinking, um, I'm up, I'll, I'll volunteer for one here? 
Aye, yeah, just, even now, obviously, I always volunteer to appear because I fancy my ability to go and score, you know, and thankfully that night I did. I was going to reverse it that night, but I opened my body up because Scott Bain obviously played with me at Aberdeen. So he was, I thought he would go for the reverse here. Thankfully, I scored. I mean, obviously, at that time, Aberdeen's record in penalty shootouts was fucking horrendous, to put it nicely. Can you kind of just talk us through, I guess, your process as a player about how you decide to take, like, how you're going to take a penalty? What, what's going through your head? Yeah, I think even because I've always took penalties, like, since I started playing football, I've always been a penalty taker, but basically when I'm everywhere I've been, sorry. Uh, so I know before the game, I always think if we get a penalty, I'm going outside. So uh, my mind's made up uh, before I go up. And obviously I knew Benny, so I said to myself, go the opposite side to what you usually do and see what happens. Thankfully, I scored. And moving on from there, we go away to Falkirk in the next round. And it's a great performance from Aberdeen. It's a 5-0 win. It's probably Calvin Zola's best performance for Aberdeen, even though he lasted about 20 minutes. And got hooked because I think he was going to get sent off, but he properly just like rattled the Falkirk defence and they never really got over it. Um, Scott Vernon grabs a hat-trick and yeah, it was an unreal performance. Um, that's a game that you'd look at as a potential banana skin. Can you remember much about the game? Because we recall you had a pretty excellent game and you're really pulling the strings in the midfield. Yeah, I can remember that game well because I thought I, I bossed it that night because I remember they put a game on BBC uh, and when they do that, you're thinking to yourself, they're fancy Falkirk to turn us over here. So I remember Dell saying that in a hotel and a team talk before that, don't get these fucking cameras all locked up, go and put a performance in and show them who's boss because Falkirk were flying at the time. And I, I think we went back in a younger team like me, Peter Pollock, Ryan Jack, and Cameron Smith, uh, Joe Shorten. So I think we all played that night. So it's now half and half. And uh, we were absolutely brilliant. It was 5 0, but I think it, I missed like about three, four chances. It could have been nine or ten. And I remember again after the game, I walked in raging and Dell said, What's up with you? I said, I should have scored a hat trick. He's like, shut up and slap me in the head. I said, get in that changing room. And after it he was buzzing, all the boys were buzzing because Falkirk were a good team, but we didn't let them play and stuff. And we started well and got on top and scored a few goals. Following on from that match was the quarterfinal tie at Motherwell, which you missed. Was there any particular reason you missed out in the squad? I just wasn't selecting 18, I was fitting stuff and got left out and I was fuming because I thought myself I've played a big part in the last kind of two felt I did well when I came on the sub against Alloa then started so I thought I merited my place in this uh, and obviously I thought myself against Motherwell and SPL opposition I thought if I go and do well then that'll prove I belong here and hopefully I get more appearances I was left out uh, but thankfully it's a team game and Big Joe didn't help us getting sent off uh, but listen, it was a great, the boys dug deep and great result that night. We had a big travelling support with good feeling sitting there. Uh, yeah, that's just what I was going to say. Uh, your pal Joe didn't help us out, but, you know, like I say, you know, uh, no damage done in the end. Considering the way that game went and the fact that we managed to win with the 10 men and pretty good travelling support, we were there as well. So we thoroughly enjoyed that. Although I remember being late and queuing outside and then hearing that Joe had been sent off and thinking, well, what am I queuing to get in for? But I'm glad I, I'm glad I, I followed through, and uh, that was that was a good night. But basically, at the end of that, was that sort of a moment in the squad where everyone thought we could actually go on and do something here because you know we just put away, as you said, a very good Falkirk team, beat Motherwell at, at their patch, two 0 the man down. You know, everything must be kind of falling into place. Yeah, I think the change room after that night, everybody was buzzing, but you don't want to get too carried away. But I think from that moment on, when you we've got a right chance of going on and winning here 
if we perform well the last couple of games. But no, after that match, I think we all believed that we had a chance of winning that cup, and thankfully, it turned out all right for us. I think I remember hearing that Joe Shaughnessy's punishment that night was to buy everyone's fish supper. I am sure we stopped somewhere and got a one big Joe was at a pocket. That's not bad to be fair. I'm surprised that if they got punched, Daffy Gaffer, if they got beat, so that's not bad only buying a few fish suppers for the boys. I was going to say, yeah, does that like, does that just kind of show the sort of team spirit that you guys had at that time? It's, you know, I guess like worse man managers could have handled that very differently. To me, it seems, it seems to show something about the team and the togetherness that there was at that point. Yep, just spot on because I think when Dell came in, he uh, he was massive on team spirit and every Tuesday we used to train then we all went out for a meal and I think was it every Tuesday and Thursday we went out and we all got a meal together so he got that together which the whole time I, it was I was at a club we never had that in the first team we were manager and stuff uh, so that worked out well and I think that did show us when you get down to 10 men and the boys are fighting for each other I think it shows you've got a good changing room which we did and we were all close enough you know so then, yeah, we're through with the quarterfinals and so on to the semi-final. It's St. Johnston at Tynecastle where we banish our recent cup semi-final hoodoo. I will take full credit for this because I wasn't there. So that's uh, got to be the reason why it happened. Um, from what I'm reliably told by these two, it was an amazing atmosphere at Tynecastle. I mean, we all know what Tynecastle is like anyway, but pack it with an Aberdeen support and then win 4-0, some unbelievable football you know, can you remember, you came on for the last three minutes, can you remember like the atmosphere and, you know, just soaking up that kind of party atmosphere when, when Rooney and Hayes put the tie beyond any doubt? Yeah, it was class. Obviously, you're just sitting there and obviously the Aberdeen fans are all just going mad and obviously the atmosphere is incredible Team Castle when it's like that. So just sitting on the bench thinking, what a day. And it's when I went, you're just thinking, right, roll on the final now because obviously we had the job done. Uh, so no, what a day it was, you know. It was uh, a great performance for the boys, but I remember... I think I said before, Jamie Langfield made an incredible save at 1-0, which doesn't get much credit for. That can change the tie completely, but save that tipped onto the post and we're up the park, scored, then we never looked back from there. Uh, that game was also Shea Logan's debut, so just wondering if you could tell us what he was like and how quickly he managed to integrate into the squad. It was a pain in the arse from day one. He's still a pain in the arse now. Nah, he's, uh, he's a good lad, of Shea. You know what I mean? He's in a change room, he's a wind-up. But you need characters like that about the place and uh, he's a good lad and he's obviously a good player for us and uh, served Aberdeen well over the years. Obviously, he came because Joe got sent off, so you can thank Joe for getting him up for a few years. Just how much did Willow Flood hate Shea Logan? No time for him. He's not high, he's high, but Willow's just chilled out in the room. I got him brilliant with Willow, he's a great lad, but he was just tell Shea, fuck off, and he's Irish accent. So, I mean, obviously on the final itself, 40,000 plus Aberdeen fans turning up at Celtic Park, turning it red in expectation of a victory over Inverness Cali. More importantly, my stag do as well. But in the build-up to the game, just how much pressure did the squad actually feel to, to get the job done and to kind of bring Aberdeen their first domestic trophy in 19 years? I think there was a lot of pressure. Even I think we had a few league games, but even leading up to it, but even in the press, it was all based on cup final. You know what I mean? Obviously, it was a team and the manager obviously one game at a time and stuff we've got a few games before that but I remember on the papers and even out the streets you're going to Union Square they have a shop and stuff I going out for some lunch all the Aberdeen fans were coming up saying he's must win he's must end this hoodoo and stuff so even that you're feeling yourself for sake a lot of pressure already in the games like in here but I think uh, the club were brilliant because they took us away to Andrews for a week uh, leading up to it so it means we weren't seeing the fans we didn't read no papers uh, Aberdeen based papers anyway 
And uh, we were all together for a week, having fun, playing a bit of golf, playing table tennis, games of pool. So that was brilliant as a squad. And I think that settled us going into the game. But obviously, as you said, all the fans, we rock up at Parkhead early. They're rocking the bus and stuff. They're all hearing numbers singing. It just gave me what a adrenaline buzz that was. I just wanted to get off and play. And obviously, you find yourself on the bench for the final. Um, and Johnny gets forced off after just six minutes. Kami comes on to take his place. And then you end up replacing Kami on the 70-minute mark. I mean, what's going through your mind when the manager goes and tells you to get warmed up? It's just adrenaline's going. I can't honestly remember. It was people saying, what does he say to you in a final? I can't remember what he said because obviously you're so hyped up, like just want to go on and help the team. And thankfully, well, I didn't really help the team because it was the worst game of football ever, but thankfully I managed to put another penalty away. I was going to say that the game was quite a tense occasion. Ends nil-nil. I was going to ask what you can remember about the game uh, but you maybe don't want to remember much about it or given the occasion, is it just one of these things that just flies by? It does fly by. I remember it was even a rubbish game, so he was like kind of dragged in. But I remember sitting at the bench and it was, I just felt like it was going like rapid, even though there was no, hardly any chances and stuff and not much football played, but it just flew in. Then obviously, when I signed with Dundee, Nick Ross and stuff signed there, uh, Danny Williams and Vincent, they were all in one at the time. And I said to him, what was the script? What the usual didn't play we usually play. John Hughes liked to play football. He said that they were happy for a draw. They kind of basically played for a draw and take it to penalties. And it's 50-50. So they think they kind of came to the game, and which happened. Well, they get their wish. And yeah, the game goes to penalties. And you step up. You're the second taker once more. Did you make that call to go at that point? Or was had McInnes already decided there was like a set... Um, order of players and one more thing was there pressure off a touch with both Billy McKay and Greg Tansy missing Cali's first two penalties uh, no I McInnes had picked a few who he knew who he wanted to take and I was one of them and I was second uh, and I think he asked a few were they comfortable taking them because I knew a few boys didn't want to say no uh, didn't fancy it but obviously as you said they missed the first one so I felt maybe a bit you could say more pressure because we scored in their miss so I think I was take the second before they missed so when I scored, they gave us that wee bit of cushion. Uh, but obviously, you're up and you're just thinking to yourself, all oh, these fans are here to see you, your family's here. They're just thinking, please don't let them down, just score. But also got to praise, I think, McInnes or whoever come up with Doc, assistant one of the coaches up anyway, because leading up to it, he had us on a halfway line of Pataudry, like a proper shootout. We're all standing there and we had to walk up. So even in training, you're really nervous. Obviously, you get nervous. Some players get nervous, some don't, but I'm always getting nervous in a good way. And he had his lined up at a happy line as if it was a proper game leading up to it. So we did practice and I didn't miss one the whole week leading up to it. So going to the penalty, I was confident I would score. Yeah, I mean, and you send the keeper the wrong way. It's it's a great penalty under the under the circumstances. And I remember your celebration, you give it a proper fucking get in there, yes. And it's a, it's a real sense of like, yeah, we might, we're, the job's almost done. Talking about what you just said there uh, under regards to McInnes and his preparation, I remember after the game, he said this, and it was something I really liked. It was this idea that penalties are not a lottery, that they're just they're part of the game and, and they're there to win. So, yeah, can you just tell us like a little bit more about in terms of like the sort of mentality Derek instilled in you um, in regards to the practice and the preparation for penalties if, that, if they came up? Yeah, it just said it's not a lottery in terms of you get up for 12 yards against a goalie. He's like, you should always fancy your chances. He's like, you'll miss a couple of your career if you're taking them regularly. He's like, but majority of the time, you're always going to score. So if you fancy yourself, what confident, and it's not a lottery because you should back your ability, basically. Which, thankfully, that day we all fancied ourselves and we scored all of them, you know. 
I remember Barry Robson took the first one, didn't he? And just a hell of a run-up from the guy, uh, given Barry Robson was about 35, 36 at the time. And I remember thinking, is he actually going to make it to the penalty spot here? You convert, and then Scott Vernon, Adam Rooney, they finished the job. Can you put into words your emotions um, watching Adam step up and he strokes it down the middle of the goal and then the place just goes crazy? Yeah, that was probably the best feeling after my daughter had been born. I've had when he hit the back of the net because I remember standing there and I'm standing next to Russell Anderson, obviously, who's been there for years, been through good times, bad times. And I think there's a picture of us two are just kind of like looking at each other and just like disbelief, like we've finally won a trophy, and especially for him being there a club legend been there so long so I've just looked at him and say here's your moment as a Aberdeen captain that was just what a feeling Can you uh, remember much about the celebrations? Absolutely not <laughs> <laughs> Well it's good celebrations if you can't remember much about them so you might not be you might not have an answer to this then I was going to ask you if you uh, if you could remember what your karaoke number was on the bus home Probably Kenny Roger the Gamba I can't remember singing but it'd probably be that because that's what I always that's my go-to song because I'm absolutely murdered I was going to say, more importantly, how managed, how much did you manage to stiff by Robson out of the booze run that he had to make, I believe? Uh, everybody fleeced him. Uh, for, it was like meeting with him before the game. So obviously you got a heavy fine or whatever. So obviously we won, so you got away with it a bit. But like, I said, your punishment say, get all your boys, carry it. All your young boys, like myself and stuff. And even young boys wasn't on the bench. Oh, and they hang someone in the trolley. And all your boys are just throwing things on it. Not even for them to drink, just so bad. Baz had to fuck the money because he's a tight ass. I was going to ask how much you remember about the night back in Aberdeen, but I think that's a daft question. Um, I don't think I can remember seeing Aberdeen City Centre like that before or since, certainly. Um, but a couple of days later, obviously, it's the open top bus tour. Um, and is that one of those days that kind of really cement for players, especially those who don't, who haven't grown up in Aberdeen or even in Scotland, I guess, just how, just how big a club actually Aberdeen is and the kind of size of potential that the club has? Yeah, spot on. Obviously, when you see that fans, because of the biggest of games, they've turned out the numbers, you know. Obviously, fans who have been at Pitotti for years, then football's been rubbish and you fall away from it, like I've not been back, then they'll obviously come and support on big occasions. So it's up to like, the club to give them that regularly so you get your fans back. But spot on, it shows you, like it's got potential to be a huge, obviously, it's a huge club, but the fans base and that's not obviously what it used to be and stuff at all. What it should be, I think, should be well more. Obviously, a club's got to perform on a Saturday to get your fans back, but it was super, especially with bus parade and just seeing all your fans there. And I've got a video when I went out, obviously, we all kind of turn each to go out on the veranda and see all your fans. And I've got a video on my phone, it's all your fans singing my name. So every now and then I just pop it up and uh, what a feeling. But it wouldn't be an Aberdeen uh, podcast if we uh, didn't maybe delve into something a little less uh, joyful. We'll move on to the, the disappointing Scottish Cup semi-final defeat to St Johnston Ibrox, which I think you you missed, and I think I'm right in saying you missed that through injury. I think I was on a bench that day. Was it not? Not according to my research, but your research is more likely to be accurate. So I think I think I've got I've scribbled down that you had missed out on it, and I was speculating through injury, but maybe you missed out because you're on the bench. I think I'm, I'm sure I was on a. I'm sure I, I could be wrong, but I thought I was on a bench because I remember things weren't going well in St Johnson. But I felt so like we needed somebody to go on the ball and settle us down because we were we were rubbish that day, to be honest. And I thought I kept thinking myself, I'm sure I'm sure I could, I could be wrong, but I'm sure I was sitting there saying, "Put me on." Unless I was injured, I think myself I could help the team here. No, right, right, right. You are. You were on the bench. Yeah, uh, I thought that, but uh, 
that obviously that day was such uh, I remember being on a bus and stuff and after the game even about a club for a few weeks was rubbish because uh, we felt it was a right chance to go and lift the Scottish Cup after doing that and we let everyone down you know obviously I think we're favourites going into the game and we never performed to be honest with you yeah that, that was going to be my follow up question around the, the mood around the squad but you yeah, you've described that and that's probably what I was expecting you to say as well. I think, yeah, everyone did think there was an opportunity and it's kind of slipped us by. So we'll move on to the next campaign and uh, Don's return to European football and you get some game time against Daugavariga, Groningen, where you're used in a, as a, a sub in the, the last minutes of both games and then a couple of periods of 20 minutes against Real Sociedad. So maybe just let ourselves, everyone know what it's like playing football against opponents from different countries and how different it actually is to what you would get in the league? It's also a great experience. It's something I never thought I would manage to do is play in Europe. So I've got to look back on when my career's finished. But it was a great experience because you're up against top, top players, some international players. But it's completely total football over there. So they keep the ball, their movement stuff's a joke. So it's a lot harder to deal with. Whereas in Scotland, it's just kind of back to front. It's basically, you know your jobs, really, and nobody tries to cut you open, maybe apart from Celtic Rangers when you go to their place. But it was it was a great experience playing against top, top players. And obviously, you're going to different, visit, visit different countries and stuff, which is really good. I know there's probably like a professional footballer code here that you can't break, but how garbage were Doug Variga? Uh, they were rubbish, to be fair. Rubbish. Teams like that, it's a lose-lose because... You're expected to go and pump them. And if you don't, if you do, you don't get praised. Then if you don't, if you win one on to roll, you get absolutely slaughtered in the press and stuff. The fans boo you off. So it's like when you're playing pre-season friendlies, when you're playing like lesser teams, so-called lesser teams, you're expected to pump them all the time you day. You don't get nothing out of it. And if you don't, you get slaughtered. So it's a lose-lose. But obviously you've got to take care of them to get your Gronigans, then Real Sociedad. But it was really good to beat Groningen because they disrespected us after the first leg at Pedodri. Their captain and manager were pricks, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll come back to that in one second. I just I remember before the Riga first leg at Pedodri, we went round, Graham had got a flat close to Pedodri around the time, so we went round there to see it. And we were kind of talking about our sort of nerves because you have this sort of, I guess, preconceived notion what Eastern Europeans are going to be like. You know, strong, tactically well-organised, good on the ball, etc., etc., and I guess the hangover from getting pumped 8-1 by Sigma Olam, which was still in the air as well. And then I think the first thing that happened, they kicked off and their number 10 just punted the ball into the into the south stand as if he was playing rugby. And he just thought, now nah, we'll be okay here. Uh, once that happens, you're thinking to yourself, right, surely we're going to beat these <laughs> lot. <laughs> surely, surely. I think Barry Robson missed a penalty that day as well, didn't he? He did. I think he got slaughtered for that eye. <laughs> but yeah, um, Obviously, as you say, Groningen was next. And I think I, I do remember one of their players coming out saying that the job was like 80% done after Pataudry. I guess you've probably said it yourself, but was that like the team talk? Did Derek because he need to say anything after that? I think it was our captain, and I'm sure he said 99% through after the game, which is fucking total disrespect. Even when you think that, you don't see it because it can come back and bite you in the ass, which thankfully it did. But I'm sure uh, Dell had that up the ginger over there. I'm sure he had that poster saying like... It is, and thankfully we were out in the first 10 minutes, we were superb, and after that we defended really well, because they were a top team, I thought, especially over there, uh, the boy Cherry went on to play in England and stuff, uh, I think he was number 10, he had a superb left foot, uh, but no, thankfully we went over there and shut him up, and it was obviously, it must have been a good trip for the Don's fans travelling over there. 
Oh yeah, the three of us were there, and it was uh, it was something else. Um, a straight, a pretty strange stadium. There's not many stadiums you have to like walk underwater to get into it. So, uh, but I do remember getting a cup of tea and a lemon biscuit as well. <laughs> yeah, we were also housed in what was effectively a greenhouse in Holland <laughs> in the summer when we're all from Scotland. It was hotter than the sun in there, but uh, it wasn't so bad when you went. So all these things don't matter when you win. So following on from uh, that particular season, I'm guessing the next one for you, yourself personally was probably quite frustrating. First team opportunities were becoming few and far between. I was just wondering at that point, if you were into the manager, basically wanting to know, do you feature in his plans and what can you do? Or had you made up your time, your, your mind rather, that it was time to move on? Yeah, I was always on that. I was always chatting Dell's door as well, saying I need to be playing either it's here or I go on loan again. But it wasn't up for letting me go on loan because he's like, you're still being a part of it. And he thought, he obviously had high respect for me, and especially about the changing room stuff. He said, fans love you. Uh, the boys love you about the changing room. He's like, we want to keep you here because you're still featuring off the bench and stuff. But at that stage, I thought, right, I'm ready to play SPL football. Uh, so then I kind of knew I was going to leave at that point. And so you end up signing a three-year pre-contract with Dundee and, and you get a decent number of appearances in your belt in the first season 23 across all competitions but it's the second season that it's, it's another injury hit one for you that restricted just two appearances in total I mean can you kind of talk us through Nicky just you know how frustrating it is as a professional footballer to be injured and the kind of I guess the mental toll that that takes um, it's something I don't think people kind of really talk about or appreciate is the mental element about this for, for professional footballers these days yeah, when I went to Dundee, it was in pre-season, my first season, I actually got injured, so I think I only played 23 times, as you said there. Uh, I was struggling, I was putting my stake and stuff on my foot and my, behind my Achilles because I didn't get an operation for ages. I think it was, was it the second season I got an operation. And I don't know when it was, but I needed an operation and stuff. And that's when my injuries started at Dundee. And as you said, on the mental side, that's when I started uh, for a few years there. I was in a bad place. I'd never spoke about it before, but I was. And that's what people don't see and stuff. And you're getting abuse uh, on social media and stuff, which it's fair enough. These fans pay their money and stuff, but they don't see, like, I don't want to be injured. It's honest, frustrating, especially. Like, I play with players who don't like football. They're just good at it. They don't watch football when they go home. I love and breathe, breathe it. Like, last night in my way, I watch any game. I watched three games yesterday in the Sunday League. Uh, that's just what I do. And it hurt me really bad. I didn't watch football for ages and stuff. And, Used to just go and sit in my room upstairs. My missus would be like, What are you doing? Come down here. And not mean we are, you know, make you feel better. I was like, No, I just want to be around people and stuff. It was an absolute nightmare. And for years, for my Achilles, and I got an operation, come back, my groin went, and it just kept going through Dundee. I'd come back for two weeks injured. Then I went, I was when I was like, kind of, me and Hartley, he said, You need to get fit and stuff. I said, I can't keep getting fitter because I keep getting injured. It was just setback after setback. And before I signed on to Derry, but my head and that was gone at Dundee, to be fair, because I had so many injuries and I kind of just I fell in love uh, away from football at the time, you know. So it's frustrating. Dundee's a good club and stuff, looked after me, but if Israel was brilliant with me, but it's just one of the things I end up hating football. Not because of Dundee, because myself, I was getting injured. But I just you can't do nothing if you get injured. It's not your fault. Was going to work for Paul Hartley again a factor in, in deciding to go to Dundee? Yeah, it was massive because McInnes, obviously before I left, I'd said to Dell and I said, listen, I think I'm going to sign with Dundee. Uh, I've been offered a good deal because also in the last couple of months of contract, you can talk to teams. I said, I'm not going to play here. He's like, listen, I can't, can't guarantee you're going to be playing, but you always be involved in some way. I said, well, I'm at age where I need to be playing regularly. 
and he, as when he said to me a few teams had wanted me so he was kind of saying you've got these options but I obviously gave Paul my word because as a captain I believe when I was there then took me on to so that's a big factor because I had a lot of teams closer to home interested too uh, and I went there it just didn't work out through injury you know yeah, and like you said a minute ago, you end up making a loan move to Derry City in January 2017. Um, how exactly did that come about? And was it just, a, in your mind, was it just a, something different to try? Yeah, as I said there, my head was all over the place at the time. I was really, really struggling. And I just thought, you know what? I said to my agent at the time, uh, just get me something different. Uh, get me away from here because I don't know what I'll do if I'm going to stay here. And uh, he said to me, I know Kenny Shields because he got a few players to come out when Kenny Shields was manager. So he phoned Kenny saying, listen, I think Nicky's available for a loan. Uh, so Kenny said, they let me do my homework. So, but he's seen I was injured a lot. So he's like, I need to get on watch to see what state he's in, uh, how he's fit and stuff and how he is. He's like, obviously I know him from Aberdeen and I've taken the heartbeat, but he's not played a lot of football. So I was playing, was it the under-20s or reserves? We were playing Aberdeen Rovers, uh, their place. And he had someone come over and watch me. And uh, I did really well, but after 60 minutes, I was gassed. Uh, but on the ball and stuff, I was really good. And that's what Kenny Shields based his team on football. And over there, it's, it's summer football, so it was pre season at the time. So he said, Listen, he's good in the ball, so we'll take him. And obviously, we'll run him into the ground during pre season. And I went over there and did really well. But I missed a few games, obviously, with my groin. Then, second season, I did an operation, I had a hernia, which most us common in football. So sadly, I missed like 14 games. Then, that's before I came back home. But I really enjoyed Derry City. What do you think about Derry just as a, as a city itself? Amazing, I absolutely love it. Uh, I would maybe move back over there in a couple of years to live forever. Uh, they made me feel like one of their own, and I obviously made a lot of friends over there. So I could see myself going back here. I only actually come back here because my house collapsed when it was bad snowing. I had a bus pipe, so I had to come back and fix all my house, or I would have still been there to this day. Uh, it's a cracking place, and it's the kind of place I can imagine that they would really take to a, a character like yourself, Nicky, if you're doing this, doing the stuff on the field. Yeah, I did really well with my performance and stuff, but I still wasn't 100% fit because those manjis had set me back. Like, if I went now, I think I'd be even better for them. Uh, a good place. Well, apart from last Friday, I did my leg against my ankle, but uh, no, they took they took to me. And obviously, when I was out and stuff, I met a lot of people. Uh, so it's uh, so friendly. Uh, people are amazing, and I couldn't speak highly enough of Derry as a place. Yeah, you you said you did well. You certainly did. You, you picked up Derry's Player of the Year, and uh, possibly more important, the Players' Player of the Year award, which must have been, I suppose that must be quite a, a real achievement when your your peers sort of recognise and acknowledge the good work that you're doing. Yeah, that's a big one for a player, I think, when your teammates are giving you that vote. Uh, they're obviously appreciating what you're doing for the team, you know, but listen, there was a lot of good players there uh, who could have won it, and luckily I got a few votes who I won it, but I appreciate it a lot. It's something you look back just now you're just playing yourself thanks very much but when you finish your career and stuff it's good for these things when on because you can look back and say oh I was actually a half decent player uh, yeah no absolutely very much so um, so kind of summarise your your dairy time you had 56 appearances uh, scored three times and then you moved back to Scotland to uh, sign a six month deal with Queen of the South so this is now into January 2019 uh, and you made 10 appearances in total for uh, Queen's before what uh, some people, probably myself included, would say is a surprise move to sign up with East Stirlingshire uh, in the Lowland League for the 2019-20 season. I guess it's a surprising move looking from the outside in. Um, but I was just wondering, you know, sort of what prompted you to make that move? Uh, and the reason I say it's surprising is 
it didn't feel to me like a level that you should be playing at. You know, you you've got the, the ability, and that's why it it seemed like a strange one. Yeah, when I come back from uh, Derry, obviously I come back in October. That's Derry's season finished because it's summer football, and I couldn't play in January. So I was in training with Morton because that's on my doorstep, and uh, I was in training. They end up offering me a contract and stuff, but the money I, I couldn't survive on. So. And Cash Naismith was in contact with a club down at Aberdeen, gone to the well and said, Do you want to come up to Queen's South and train? They just trained at Hamilton Palace in Glasgow. So, not be a three, he's like, Come and have a wee look about the place. Went up and trained, and after two days, they offered me a contract. And I liked to train and stuff, and the boys were brand new. So, I signed there, but obviously, as you said, I think I started the first 10 games, and I think we won like eight. Me and Kai Jacobs and Murdoch Park were doing really well. Then, my groin from Derry as well, and my time with Dundee had went. So, I played 10 games, and I missed a lot. Uh, and come back for like the last game of the season, but I should never have played because I wasn't fit. So in my head, I was in a bad place again mentally because I, I broke down again. And by the end, I came home and I said to my wife, that's me, I'm finished, I'm retiring. Because you can only take so much when you just keep getting setback, setback, setback. It's not as if I'm missing one, two games. I'm missing 10, 12 games. You're missing months. So you need to come back to another pre-season and stuff. And uh, just mentally, it was so tough. So I said, you know what? I'm going to chuck it. Uh, so I took back time away a few weeks. I was, wasn't was sure what I was going to do. Then Mark Muller is a friend of mine from Greenock, played before the night and stuff. He was going to East Stirling from Largs and he said to them, hey, Nicky's going to chuck it. See, we'll fancy coming part-time and getting his uh, love for football back. I spoke to Andy Rogers, assistant manager at East Stirling at the time, and Derek Urey, a manager. And I like what they had to say. They were spending a bit of money at the club players. Uh, and I thought, they've got ambitions to go and win it. And uh, I went up. And I, I really, really enjoyed my time there. And that's where I started to uh, get my love for football back. And you just kind of touched on it there, Nicky. And can you kind of just talk us through that mental side of contemplating retirement at, at such a young stage in your career? I mean, you look at a guy like Tommy Hoban, who's obviously recently left. Aberdeen went to Crew, And then after two weeks at Crew, just decided, you know what, I'm done with the game. It's a massive step for... You know, uh, guys of your age to, to even contemplate doing that. Yeah, as I touched earlier uh, on a podcast, that football's all I've got. I've not got uh, any qualifications up behind me, which hopefully I'm going to do my coaching badges soon. Because uh, football's all I know. So if I had to retire in, as I said, my wife's like, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'll do it. I'll find something because I can't just keep doing this. Because not only do I feel bad for myself, but clubs pay me. Uh, I could sign, I could have signed for another full-time club. I've got another club because I did well my first time at Queen South, first 10 games. And people were talking about, oh, how good's he done because I was away in Derry for a few years so nobody seen me. Then my injury struck again. So it was on it. was so tough because obviously I didn't really speak to him. I spoke to my wife and she knew. Well, I've got to thank her because she put up with me all mid swings and stuff that I was back to love with. And I knew for her it was tough. I could see it getting to her. Uh, but obviously I didn't really speak about it, which especially now I think it's coming out more and more people should speak and rightly so but at the time it was a lot of dark nights and rooms and stuff for me personally that's just the way I dealt with it I didn't like speaking you know uh, thankfully I decided if I go part time because I had these Sterling they all said to me listen if you need any if you don't need to train and play games until your groin gets better that's fine so be it but I had rested for a few weeks I didn't really do any running so I think I took about a month off pre-season went East Sterling for pre-season and thankfully, Touchwood, uh, since then, I think I've been injury-free. I, didn't miss, I think I missed one game injury, and that was my ankle at East Stirling. It wasn't my groin, 
I've not had any problems since, and I trained every Tuesday, Thursday. So it's worked out well for me, you know. Do you think going part-time, so like you say, it's, it's Tuesday, Thursday training, and then you play on Saturday or Sunday. Do you think that gives like players a chance to sort of reconnect with their love of the game, where it's it's not so much like an obsessive thing, you know, 24 hours a day. It's just kind of goes back to why you play football as a kid, because it's it's fun. Yeah, I agree. Every day you get into training, you're just like, oh, training again. But I think the same when boys have got jobs and stuff, and they've been working all day, they actually always did a lot of football. So at night time, I say, no, I'm going to, it's not so I'm going to training like every day. You're going to actually enjoy training and stuff because you're not always doing it. So I think you do kind of love it more at part time. Then obviously you don't train every day. So when it comes to Thursday again, if you don't play like fives or sevens during the week, you're saying, oh, I can't wait to touch the ball again. And obviously after the Thursday, you're saying the next thing's a game. So you just can't wait to get touching the ball with your feet and passing it and stuff. So no, I think you're spot on here. And I mean, yeah, you do really well at East Sterling and then COVID hits and the Lowland League is suspended. And this gives a number of players, I think Chris Erskine went back to Partick on loan and you yourself are given the opportunity to go and sign for our growth and uh, link up once more with the uh, with the legendary Dick Campbell. Uh, how did that move come about? Was it just, did Dick, you know, obviously knowing you from the past, just think you're a player that can come in and uh, make a real difference for our growth? Yeah, it came out of blue. To be fair, I suppose a few teams in League One and League Two had Fonty Sterling and myself uh, get me on loan. But once they found out much money I was on at East Sterling, they said, oh, we can't pay that. Uh, they're saying well, how are you on that but that's just what I was on and stuff so the club looked after me and I thanked them for it and I think I repaid them by my performances but a phone call just came out of blue uh, my phone went one day I don't even know where I was I think I was at a walk or something and uh, I've obviously a guy had changed his number from when I was like 18 working with him and the first thing says oh yeah we cunt it's the gaffer and obviously you know his voice right away I'm like gaffer how are we how's things been a while and he just, he was honest, he's, he's an honest guy. He said, listen, I need you for six weeks or seven weeks. Come and fucking do me a favour. He's like, we've got a few injuries. But to be fair, he didn't think I could help him at the time. I think he just wanted me to go and maybe play a small part uh, for him because he's like, you're not been fit. Because I didn't play for three months because only was uh, COVID hit. So the first time I signed, I ended up having my own PCR and stuff, COVID, to send to him so I could be involved on a Saturday. First match was away to Inverness, Cali Fissel. We got beat 1-0. We were for the last 10 minutes. And after I did not bad. Then on, we tra- I broke for training Monday, Wednesday. So in the sessions, I must have done really well. And they popped me on a Wednesday before they named the team and said, I'm playing you, which I was massively surprised at. They said, how do you feel fitness-wise? And I said, well, I feel good because I've been doing bits on my own, taking over, as obviously you need to if you're part-time. Uh, I played the first game. I started the next week after Inverness and I did really well. And I played every game after that what's what's Gayfield like as a place to play football I mean we've been there certainly once it was a cup game in like January and it's comfortably the coldest uh day of my life doing anything um what's yeah what's it like and do you think it gives our both like the home players an advantage just this kind of you know different environment is to be fair when I went the last six weeks it was it was kind of going into summer or whatever so it wasn't bad then just the weather's just dead to someone else so I've not really dealt with it as bad as it's been uh, so I can't really say that but I don't, I don't people say it's always a big advantage but people's played in one by four and stuff you know what I mean about rain it's just two two teams got up against each other but obviously I've probably played a lot more than people so they maybe got a slight advantage but I think we're all hard, we're a hard working team so it's just hard, horrible to come 
and play football at our place because we're a hard voting squad. Yeah, and obviously doing things right because you go in and you make an impact and you play a part in Arbroath staying in the championship, which is a for a team like Arbroath a pretty incredible achievement. And with that being said, you're offered a two year deal to to come and join Arbroath on a permanent basis and you know ply your trade in the championship once more. And now you're an integral part. Um, obviously you got injured against Kilmarnock, but you know I think you've played pretty much every minute that you've been available. So yeah, can you just tell us a bit? You know, is your love for the game back now? Yeah, uh, I'm absolutely loving my football. And that's all down to, I think, East Stirling because they got me in love with it again. And I really enjoyed it, working under the man and stuff. And it's a great club. And going to Arbroath, which is another great club. And obviously, the boys I'm playing with just now, it's the best changing room I've been in. Uh, spirit and stuff. And just the lads in general, they're all a great bunch of boys who I've got a lot of time for. Uh, and I think that's how we do so well. And obviously, when you get off the two years, I think I couldn't knock that back because Arbroath's a mission away for me to travel. But under Dick Campbell, I just couldn't say no. And thankfully, it's worked out all right. Was previously, I, I was like hurt my ankle last Friday against Kilmarnock, but I've been doing well. And I, I think my performances are showing that I'm happy again and loving my football. Uh, yeah, for, for what it's worth, the three of us are delighted to see you back playing at a good level uh, with everything that's been going on um, on our growth. So, yeah, you touched on your, your recent injury, and I was just wondering, I don't know if you're allowed to give any spoiler alerts away, just how things are going with the recovery and if you're you know if you're feeling good about it. Yeah, obviously when I first happened there was a lot of pain and I wasn't sure exactly what it was because I was sore for my knee, basically my ankle. Uh, it was I was really worried. I thought, oh no, here we go again. It was just typical of Nicky Lotte be injured when he's doing well and people's talking about how well he's doing. But you don't really listen to what people say, but obviously I was just disappointed. I thought it was obviously previously. So I got a lift to Glasgow and my wife picked me up from there and I went to the hospital. Uh, straight after the match and when I showed the doctor the footage and a picture of my ankle before I take my moon boot off he said oh no like that's surgery and that's broke so as soon as he said that and I was like one of the hands and head moment and I was nearly in tears then I got my x-ray and stuff and they said you're so lucky it's just a bit of ligament damage and badly sprained and probably about I think it's about six eight weeks but I've started my rehab back already with physio Craig, who's been brilliant, texting me every day and stuff, making sure I'm doing my work. I'm doing so much work in rehab. And the missus always said to me, like, you're doing it again. But I'm just wanting back as soon as possible because I'm loving football and I've missed so much. Previously, when I was younger and stuff, I didn't do, I didn't rehab, but not as much as I should have. Now, when I've missed so much football, I'm doing so much because I just want to get back, you know? Yeah, well, certainly wish you all the best with that and maybe you know, sort of lessons learned from your, your previous stints out, hopefully you'll be in a better place as you go through your recovery and sort of always remember there's someone out there if you need to get things things off your chest. Yeah, I've got a wee one now who's one and she keeps me going since she's been here up in a good place. So I knew kind of how to deal with this one and she's always, she watched the game and my missus had sent me, uh, after the match, sent me a video, uh, my wee girl hodded her, hodding her knee and fell to the ground and said, Daddy crying, Daddy crying. So that kind of gave me a wee laugh when she sent that. And that's the things life's uh, love, what you love for, seeing your child and stuff happy. She makes me laugh and stuff. But it's not as bad as first year. And I think I'm four to six weeks, which is not bad. You know, I can get my head around that. And hopefully I'll be back helping the club perform well. But hopefully the boys keep doing well while I can't play. Oh, great stuff, Nicky. And listen, honestly, we wish you all the best for your recovery. Um dead please like we said to see you playing at a good level now enjoying your football and and in a good place as well and fingers crossed eh, you might even be 
back in the Premiership next season with the way that our both are playing at the moment. But listen, we'll wrap up things here now. You've spent way too long with us, more than we deserve. But we'll wrap up with one last question. And it brings us back to Aberdeen. And it's one that we've asked all of our guests so far. What does Aberdeen Football Club mean to you? I love it. Uh, people ask what after a game and stuff, I'm on. As soon as I'm getting finished, I check Aberdeen score. My family and stuff, I love Aberdeen because I think not only me playing for them, but as I said, touched on previously, where would I be if I never moved away? So I think they thank Aberdeen a lot for me still being here and stuff. Uh, and not in jail, well, probably dead, but the club means a lot to me. Everybody, even upstairs and stuff, I used to go up and speak to OM and I think people always say, like when I left, Derek McInnes used to phone me and stuff saying, everybody speaks highly of you. And I said, listen, because I've kept like cleaners and stuff, I talk to everybody. I love everybody. And uh, it's a club I always hold close to my heart for sure. Uh, Nicolo, top man. Wishing you all the best the rest of the season. Thanks for appearing on the ABZ Football Podcast. Stand free. I appreciate it. Cheers, guys. And that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, or whatever on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week for episode 30, where we'll review our fixture at Livingston. We'll have our usual look at our low knees in Lone Watch. We'll see how the women's team got on in their fixture against Hibs before we turn our attention to our premiership fixture against Celtic at Pataudry and our season-defining, crucial Scottish Cup fifth round tie at Motherwell. And we'll round things off with the latest in our line of interviews with Dawn's personalities of past and present. And this time, it's a man who joined the Dons in January 2014, going on to make 197 appearances in red, scoring 88 goals in the process, including the all-important winning penalty in the 2014 League Cup final. It's Adam Rooney. We look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Tony Stott Professional Framing Solutions. Looking for that special piece of memorabilia? Then take a look at our website, www.signedmemorabiliabytonystott.co.uk. With autograph authorization and validation available, you're in safe hands with Tony Stott. Registered memorabilia dealers with the Autograph Association's AFTAL and UACC. For all of your picture or shirt framing needs and quality memorabilia, it's got to be Tony Stott Professional Framing Solutions in Aberdeen. Don's season ticket holders benefit from discount on framing and memorabilia.